we go. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast show. My name is Paul Verzi. Today is Sunday, February 24th, and that's right, everybody. You guys are listening to episode 100. Um, we did it. I've been doing this podcast for two years, and um, I made it to 100 episodes, and I did it with you guys uh, listening. Thank you all so much for your downloads. Thank you for the comments on iTunes, um, everything. So um, I have a guest with me, but I'm going to get into that in a second. First, I have to um, obviously plug the sponsor and uh, thank the sponsor, Butterfly Radio, who's been aboard the show uh, for the past couple of months now. Butterfly Radio is a free app you could get on your iPhone. Download the app for free today. And uh, with that app, you can send audio messages to your favorite podcast shows. Mine is on there, Jim Florentine's, Joe Matarese, a bunch of other great podcasts on there. You could send up to a five-minute audio message to your favorite podcast, and they will respond back to you personally. Also, you can go to butterflyradio.com, register, get your own podcast, and um, put up your own pictures. You can get multiple podcasts. So thanks to those guys. And... Um, here we are. Uh, also, real quick, I do want to thank the uh, submissions that I got on Butterfly Radio that I did respond to. Uh, Cam was talking about uh, a crazy kid in school who uh, got hit by a, a truck when he was little, and he, it, it changed him. And he's he's like he's like the kid that he thinks is gonna fucking shoot somebody. He's walking around school really weird, making noises. And I said, just stay away from that fucking guy because um, I everybody has weird people like that. And uh, in their school, you know, and you see that guy and he's just weird and he's to himself. And what's fucked up about that is, um, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said that they knew a guy and the guy, they knew a guy and the guy was really nice. He was a great employee. He was a great husband. Got hit in the head with a rod. A rod went through his brain and he lived and he got through that. And he became the biggest asshole, the worst employee, got fired, got divorced because he went through shit like that. So I guess the point is, if you know somebody cool and they go through some head trauma, just keep your distance from them. But thank you, Cam, for the message and the support. Also, Nolan, I did finally get your um, your your audio feed on Butterfly. I got back to you. And, um, you know, I told you what I thought about the Knicks and all that. And I'm going to talk about a lot more sports and Derrick Rose coming back in this episode and uh, what I think of the Knicks for the, uh, you know, just what's going to happen in the Eastern Conference. And I hope you do come out to Indiana to watch me open up for Bill Burr. Um, but thank you guys so much for the, um, for the you know, support going on to Butterfly and downloading and listening to these, uh, to these podcasts. So thank you guys for that. Now, I have a guest with me today, and everybody was asking me, and I put stuff out there. I said, what should I do for my 100th episode? Who should I have on? And I'll let you guys, you know, let you guys kind of decide. And some people were like, oh, you know, why don't you have Burr on and talk about all the stuff that you and Burr did? Or why don't you and Matt Arise get together and you and Matt Arise have done podcasts together? That sounds good. Somebody said get James Goff and Angelo Lozada and, and, and Adrian Appalucci. And I was thinking about it. And then I was talking to somebody who's here with me now. And this man is somebody that I not only do I think people who uh, aren't in comedy I mean, or I should say people in comedy would be very interested. Young comedians would be very interested. And, um, you know, also, 
I think that uh, people who want the insight on what a comedy manager or what representation does, and I've had David Kimowitz on the show, um, who is also my manager, but uh, I have by himself, he never was on there, he was kind of in the background on the Pete Davidson episode when I had Pete on, but uh, I have with me Chris Italia, Chris Italia is my manager, um, Chris is uh, an, an owner of the Stand Comedy Club, which you've heard me talk about many times, and I'm sure you've heard many people talk about it. He owns the Stand Comedy Club. He manages uh, a, lot of, a lot of clients. We're going to get into a bunch of stuff with him. We're going to go movies. We're going to go sports. It's a full episode. We're sitting here um, in the apartment on top of the Stand Comedy Club. That's why if it's a little more, little more echoed, that's what that is. But um, we got a lot of shit for you guys, so sit back, relax. You're going to hear a lot of stuff about industry. It's going to be really insightful, I hope. Um, if it sucks, we'll blame Chris later. I could do that on a further episode. But, Chris, thank you for being here. And, um, I don't want to come into that. You should redo that. No, I'm not redoing that. Redo that. What? He said, if it sucks, I'll blame him later. Oh, fuck, you know. That's, we don't see, that's the thing. That's the beauty about the Verzi Effect podcast. We don't redo shit. It's messed up. Man. No, 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 it's not. It's not. Just make sure you talk into that thing now. That was like a lukewarm introduction, though. No, dude, I, I got a lot of things. First of all, this is a big reason why Chris is here for you guys. Um, you know, as you guys know, I've, I've had the, the honor um, and the pleasure to perform in places like Carnegie Hall and um, the theater at Westbury. And I've also um, recently was on television for a live taping. And Chris has been there. And uh, Chris was in my dressing room at Carnegie Hall. He uh, he was like a giddy little girl at Westbury. Why were you so into that Westbury thing? Like you were into that Westbury thing like it's months around. early earlier. It's around, and uh, anytime you get to perform it around, it's it's different than any other kind of performance. So for me, you know, it's just I've been in it. Only once, like in like in a, I was in a band in high school, and I got to perform in the round with the all city band or whatever. So the round really intrigued yeah, you that the fact that it's that intense. Yeah, it's that, really intense. Man. Yeah, because like before I did the round, he was like, "Oh, you're doing Westbury? You got to come to that." I mean, I got to come to that. That one I'm gonna be at, and he was really into it. And actually, when I got there, I realized how insane it was. Like you do feel like a gladiator. We talked about it. Like they're just hanging on top of you. It's all coming down on you. Man. Yeah, it's all coming down on you. It's sink or swim. Um, and then I was, I did the, the Gotham show on television, which wasn't my first television spot, but it was my first, uh, stand-up spot on TV and it was live. And Chris was like, I had to be there for Paul. And he was, he was always there. So he's, I mean, you've been in moments of mine. You've seen me in some fucking, he you yeah. see, yeah, well, you see me in some heavy fucking. Yep. And, uh, if you guys didn't hear an episode, this is what Chris Italia, this is, this is what Chris Italia does to me. Okay. He always comes up with this like mass mind thing about a big like he has this saying or a, a quick speech before I do something big. So the, the, the funniest one was I'm about to do Carnegie Hall and he's a little, you had a couple of drinks at the Comedy Central after party. We were all up there yeah. and you were, you know, he was smirking and stuff and you never, Chris is one of these guys, you don't really see Chris drunk. Like he never has his guard down. Like this dude is, you know, he, he's fucking buttoned up. He knows what he's doing. So he's smiling, and all of a sudden he comes up to me, and I'm, I'm fucking, as I said before in the podcast, and I apologize if you guys heard this before, but uh, having Chris here, I just got to say the story. Um, you know, it's the night before, I'm there, Joe DeRosa, Bill Burr, and we're all just not even talking about it, even though we're like 12 hours away from this fucking thing, and we're just like, all right, let's just have the day come. So Chris comes up to me. 
no, no, no. My, uh, Kimowitz, my other manager, comes up to me and he goes, so what are you wearing, dude? Are you getting new jeans and new sneakers? And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm decking out for this. So Chris just looks over at me and he just does a, he just shakes his head, right? He just, he just shakes his head and he goes, come here, come here. And he puts his arm around me and he goes, listen to me. When you do a show of this magnitude, and that's all I fucking heard, the word magnitude. Like, when you said magnitude, I was fucking, you made me so scared. But he said something really important, and he said, when you do a show like that, be comfortable. Like, what do you normally wear on your feet? Especially, and you said shoes were important. Why did you say that? You said, you said shoes are like a big deal? Because you're going to be, you know, the feet are where it starts. Your feet need to be taken care of at all times. So if you're ever feeling a little weak or whatever, you know, your feet are really important. They don't want, they're they're your last line of defense. They're going to hold you up. (laughs) Your feet, it starts with your feet. You got to take care of your feet, man. You can't be breaking in new sneakers on a a stage you've never been on, you know? Especially that stage. Especially that stage, yeah. You have to have shoes that you're comfortable with that are broken in. You know, you can't trust a new pair of sneakers. You can't. It takes weeks to, <laughs> to get them right, you know? You're going to be starting and stopping, you know what I mean, with new shoes. You know how it is. When you're on a basketball yeah. court and you're wearing yeah. new sneakers for the first time, that's, that's, you're running up and down. You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. So you need a real. You need to really break them in. But yeah, like, and guys, he wasn't joking. Like, when he said you can't, you can't go on stage with that. So what I did was I wore a pair of my Jordans that I've wore before, and I had a nice pair of jeans on. I wore that, and I wore my sweater. But he kind of, he said that. Then at, at, at uh, Westbury, he said something. And uh, actually, you know what? He was there for my Montreal audition last year, which, yeah, yeah, fucked. But uh, then comfort is important. Comfort. That's the last thing you need to think about is if a shirt's feeling too tight because you weren't sure about it, or you just bought it, and then all of a sudden you, you get to the you get to the show and you're like ah the show the shirt's kind of feeling a little too tight, and then you get all self conscious about it, and now yeah. it starts to seep into your head and starts to fuck you up a little bit. Yeah, and you can't do that. You gotta you gotta be comfortable. You gotta go with what you know and go with what what works all the time. So, yeah, so basically, if you have a big show and don't be the guy who goes out to the store the day before and just buys new sneakers and gets the, you know, the uncomfortable, just be you and and do what you normally do. Um, And you know what? And it worked. And I got to tell you, when I got there dressed like that, it felt like a little, I was like, holy shit. Um, All right. Now, this is what I want to talk to Chris about. And uh, get your fucking notepads, young comics or whoever wants to know. But Chris, uh, how many comedians do you represent? Right now, 23. 20. Jesus Christ, no wonder why I'm not getting on TV. I'm <laughs> fucking with you. I'm fucking with you. All right, so you have 23 comedians, and you're an owner of the Stand Comedy Club. Now, there's a couple of things everybody's been asking me. Can we just get that window down? I'll do it. I'll do it. We're going to get the window down because we, we are up here. We wanted to give the authentic New York City feel, but something tells me we're going to get heavy into some uh, you know, talk about the business, and uh, fuck it, somebody's going to have a heart attack, and there's going to be an ambulance siren to fuck it up. All right, now... You, you have 23 clients, mm-hmm. okay, comedians that you guys obviously believe in, signed off on, and represent. You also own the Stan Comedy Club. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about first. The Stan Comedy Club started in September, correct? It opened the first day. It was September 20th. First day was September 20th, and um, everybody's talking about the stand everywhere I go. All other clubs, even at, you know, far away, people say, "What's going on with the stand? Why is it the hot spot?" I don't believe that. No, I'm, well, that's listen. I'm telling you what people are saying. Why is it the hot spot? Why is industry and networks coming here to do shows when it's so new? Three months in. Because of me. Because they like me. So, because because is that what it is? I was like, hey, 
Let's go over here. This See, he's modest. <laughs> he, he, he's modest. He no, but the club is no, bringing something different. The club. Know, I, I, it's important to establish, uh, establish a place uh, with everyone. With hey, uh, this is a great place for comedians to come to to hang out. This is a great place for industry to come and see new talent and you know see some of the best stand ups and just you know also feel like it's a great atmosphere to do business. It's very important to be able to establish that kind of vibe where they can do business here and they can find something they didn't find somewhere else. So that's why industry is really coming here. And plus, you know, we, we've had good relationships over the years. You know, we've we've been uh, a source for information over the years and source of, uh, of new talent over the years. So, you know, industry knows that there's definitely something going on here and that's why they come here. Um, and, I mean, the lineups you put together are, are great. The food upstairs. And that's the thing. Like, a lot of people think the stand, they don't think restaurant, and now they're starting to because the food here, this is a, this is like an insane restaurant. And, but here's the problem with it. The problem is when people hear comedy club, they never think right. restaurant. There's, and you guys are stigma, trying to change that. There's a stigma amongst all comedy clubs that comedy clubs are just really shitty food, shitty drinks, two right. drink minimums, all those things. And, you know... When when friends of mine explain it to other people, they're like, oh, I don't want to get, I don't, I don't want to get tied down to a two drink and you know just a really crappy environment. People want to go out on a Saturday night. They don't think comedy club because comedy club is usually a bad, you know, just a food. bad. It's scene. a bad food experience. Yeah, it's period. like hey, I want to have a nice dinner. I want to have, I want to have a good drink. I want to hang out. You know, I want to, I want to, you know, just talk and bullshit and all that stuff. But you know, we're trying to change that in, in that it is a place where you can come hang out upstairs at the restaurant get a drink at the bar uh feel good about hanging out and then if you want to go to the show you can and uh and the shows are always going to be top notch um one one thing that i also want to let everybody know something about chris and uh a big reason why something that really really touched me okay um Chris was working with, he wasn't managing, but Chris was working with the late, great Mike DiStefano um, and uh, God rest his soul. And uh, we're actually, there's a picture of him here in the office. And uh, you did something that was really fucking amazing to me where a guy that you weren't managing, but you, you loved and he loved you guys and what you guys were going to do. You were helping him work on his one man show. Right. And uh, you did something that's amazing. And what it was, was after he passed, which was horrible, you guys continued to not only not only promote his comedy, not only let people know about his 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 memory and stuff. And you did that beautiful tribute that you did at the at the college, right? Uh, no, at the uh, Tribeca Performing Arts Center. To Tribeca Performing Arts Center, which I went to, and that reel that you guys put together. But not only that, you guys continued on with some of his work, like with his projects. And as a client, or I'm I'm looking at myself and I'm going, all right, well, listen. These guys will work for you and you're, after you're gone. Like, if they believe in you, like, that's gangster. Like, that's that's really... See, there's a cop coming now. I knew it. Foresight, people. Um, <laughs> no. It's New York City. What do you expect? Yeah, I'm acting like... <laughs> I'm acting like it's a... I'm like, I'm telling you, we're going to hear a cop or an ambulance. Uh, there's there, there you go, people. There's some... Uh, authenticity, whatever. So, listen. You um, cut that out. When I saw, nah, nah, we we'll let we we'll let people want to hear the sirens. That's what we do on the Verzi effect. But um, back to the back to the you know the serious stuff that we're talking about is, you know, Mikey D passed and you guys just you worked for him and the logo, 
the logo of the stand. It's like it's it's in there forever. It's stand. It's it's the silhouette of a, of a stand up holding a microphone, and that's that's Mike. Who, how did you guys come about that? Like, what? That's amazing to me. Were, were our relationship with Mike or just no? Like when you guys were like, it was like was having him. It was having his face a part of this. Well, just it was absolutely. To be honest with you, you know, Mike is a big reason why I stayed in the comedy business. Uh, you know, there was a time where I thought, you know, maybe you know I was gonna go and do some other things. Uh, but Mike, uh, you know, when Mike asked me to produce his one man show and help him write it uh, and you know work on it with him, he you know he convinced me to stay. He convinced me. That I had something to offer, and uh, you know, not just myself, but you know, my partner Dave as well, and you know, we believed in what he wanted to do because you know it was very important. Uh, he had a message, and it wasn't just about making people laugh; it was about telling people to appreciate pr- appreciate what they had and appreciate life. And uh, I think those are the, some things people sometimes people are too busy to realize that that how important that is. And uh, Mike really slowed everything down you know and, and explained that and i think his one-man show was incredible in that way and you know we had plans to work together and build a business together and you know when he passed away we didn't want to forget that so uh he's a big part of everything we do going forward and that's the, right there folks um if you want to know where loyalty stands with me when you hear those words that's amazing like we wanted to continue didn't want to forget it and that doesn't happen all the time especially in this business because in this business you know out of sight out of mind that's it it's business let's go and that's not what these guys do and that's a very special thing so anybody out there man when you're looking for somebody you know and, and you know listen i mean if they do wrong by me you know what i mean fucking i'm gonna fire these motherfuckers yeah. no no no. but but no listen though in all so much for loyalty no <laughs> in all serious yeah i'm like these guys that's why i'm there i'm like what do we get feedback from the network <laughs> no but um that's it now so would you say that if it wasn't for mike would you be in the business if it wasn't for mike d you don't think or, probably not no probably not wow wow so you think you're in the game of comedy because of oh i'm still in the game of comedy because of because of mike Oh, you were in it, but you you you're be- I was in it already, but I stayed and I and I continued uh, to develop and do things because uh, what Mike what Mike showed me and what Mike taught me and you know what we what we meant to each other right uh, is enough for me to stay uh, as long as possible as long as it takes to to get you know the things the goals we had and and the things we wanted to do out there uh, so it's very important that you know I finish what I, what we started. Right, and let me talk, I want to talk about the Cringe Humor name and the Cringe Humor brand and what you guys did because you actually did a big overhaul and you changed a lot of things and you changed, uh, but one thing that you guys really didn't change is you, um, and for the people that don't know, Chris is not the only owner, the owners are uh, Chris, Chris, his brother Paul, David Kimowitz, and Patrick Milligan, correct? Right. Um, you guys have never changed one thing. And it's you guys like a certain style of comedy. You like all comedy, and now that you're a, now that you're a comedy club owner, you probably see and appreciate more comedy. But you do like you guys together like a certain style of comedy, correct? Sure. Well, it, you know, always over the years, people thought that uh, cringe humor meant that we hated it, anything outside of that realm of cringe, and that's not true. It's just that hey, this this is the type of comedy we like the most, and that uh, doesn't mean that people that don't uh, apply to that cringe humor style it is not appreciated. We we appreciate everybody, and we really uh, we really do think that you know having an array of talent and an array of of comedy is 
is important. Uh, you don't always want the same thing. But at the time, when Cringe Humor was created, it was supporting a certain group of comedians. And we did shows to reflect that. And really, that's all it was. I think people just made that mistake of, oh, you know, all they care about is guys that can do crowd work and, you know, you know, be filthy and stuff like that. And that really wasn't the case. It was all about comics who were honest and raw yeah. on stage and talked about themselves and, you know, just a more, uh, you know, for us, it was just a more pure version of it. Uh, I think Pat and myself and Dave, you know, my brother, we all kind of enjoy that there's that, you know, personal... Uh, Realness, realness to each to each comic that we we really want to wanted to work with. So, um, you know why why sugarcoat it? I mean, you know, if we wanted one line comics, you know, that's that's a whole different world. You know, and we, it just wasn't us. You know, it just really wasn't what we wanted to do. Um, everybody talks about it and asks me, um, and I've talked about it before. Everybody's heard a bunch of comedians talk about it, but from an industry standpoint, from somebody like you who represents comedians and um, owns a club, a club that's doing well. And, and by the way, I like to say this too, is this comedy club, they, they don't like, although the lineups are sick and like it's really hard to obviously get on the weekend lineup, you guys give people a chance like during the week. Like you guys don't really turn down. If people, no. like you guys aren't like, oh, fuck you. It's, no, like, it's definitely hard to get we'll up. Also take a, we'll also take an up-and-comer that we feel is ready and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll throw him on a weekend show just to see how he handles it, you know? And that's always, you know, that's always great to see, you know, we, we love to see that, you know, that they, they can respond in a positive way and show that they can be on a show with, you know, uh, you know, Jay Okerson and, uh, you know, Ted Alexandro and Judy Gold and, you know, Judah Freelander and some of the best talent, Paul Verzi, obviously, you know, these are, People have been doing it for years, and then when you stick a guy in there that you know may or may not be ready, it, it's just a test, and you and you watch him, you watch how how they embrace that moment, and and when they do, it's so refreshing to to watch. You could see right if they could handle that. Sure, I mean you got you know you you have packed house. They know that you know this means that if they do well, they can get more time on weekends and you know in front of packed houses like that, and and it and you know our crowds are. Are great judges of comedy. They really come out to, to laugh, you know. So if they're not laughing, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what do you think? Here's the question that I want, you know, a lot of people want to know. You guys, you guys don't not support the alternative comedy scene. No, we you, embrace You it. guys embrace the alternative comedy scene, but you guys also don't think that it See, should think, be it. No, it shouldn't. But you know, people get the misconception of, of what cringe humor was, and it was like anti alt. But the reality is, we were alt when we when we started. We started doing shows in in bars and you know all kinds of alternate places. But we we knew the importance of of doing a comedy club and being in a comedy club. And you know, comedy club crowds are different. They're not just friends. You know, of of people. And you know, for an alt comic. Working all the only the alt rooms, it's very important that they try to transition into a comedy club atmosphere, because that just means they can do both rooms. And you know, if they do that, you know, they can work anything. I mean, they can go anywhere around the country, anywhere in this city, anywhere in L.A., and, and you know, and and kill it. And that's really the most important thing. You shouldn't just tie yourself down to one type of venue. Right. And and um, do you think that? Because a lot of people say that that. Alternative comedy has taken over the game. 
you know, completely. Do you feel that, or or do you? It's not taking over the game. It's just that industry is going to alternative rooms to find characters. They find new characters, um, and you know that's great. I mean, I I think you know, it's good that they're going to different places. That it shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be the same clubs because you know what, the clubs failed the industry. You know, the clubs stopped putting up new how? talent. How did the clubs fail the industry? Well, the, clubs, the clubs stopped putting up new talent. They just put up, you know, the same old guys, the same comics. Dinosaurs. Not just dinosaurs, but, you know, they just, I get it. It's a business, and they want to they want to have the names there and all that stuff and, you know, want to make sure that their lineups are, are loaded with guys that can do, you know, killer jokes and maybe crowd pleasers sometimes and never really take chances. But they forgot to develop talent and... You know, that's the things that were lost from from the 90s. I mean, in the 90s, all the comedy clubs were very conscious of developing talent, and that stopped happening in the 2000s. And Really? Yeah, I mean, and basically around like the 2005 is when, 2005, 2006 is when the alt movement really started happening and really growing. Uh, and it was all led by guys like, you know, Mark Marin and... and Zach uh, Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis and, you know... Um, Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt, which is he's amazing. We love Pat on Patton. He's a good friend. Um, you know, these guys decided that you know these comedy clubs are not going to allow them to perform in in, in their rooms. Then, well, we're just going to do shows somewhere else, and and it, good for them. And they should have because when we started doing shows, com- comedy clubs didn't want to have a cringe humor show in, at their venue because that just had a negative connotation to them. They felt like, why would we? Put in a show that says cringe on it. That just that just says we're all about being filthy and getting you know being outlandish or whatever. But that really wasn't the case. Um, so we had to prove it. We had to go out, do shows in alternative locations, and prove that we belonged in a comedy club. That we can we can bring the same kind of intensity that they would have night in night out with their lineups. You know, I think I think that's a good point you brought up, Chris, because I feel like when people hear cringe humor or heard it in the past, they thought that you guys just wanted some some shock value shit and no. somebody just said, you guys really just wanted honest, raw people to wanted, talk about real shit. I mean, be honest with you, some of the shows that we produce, some of the first shows were Jim Norton, uh, Joe Matarese, Russ Maneve, Bobby Kelly, Colin Quinn, you know, Patrice O'Neill, all on one show. I mean... You know, think about yeah, that. They think now. about that lineup. That's fucking. You know, that's murderous row right ridiculous, there. Ridiculous. You know, I mean, you know, to be able to do that. Wait and, a minute. You guys had a show, Norton, Patrice O'Neill, right. Matteris, Rusmany. Was it like Keith Roberts? The guys like that too. Like you, guys the, like that. Yeah, but like I'm talking about just one show there, and that, that was one of them. I know that for sure. So, and we would have lineups like that every show, and then we'd throw in the young young guys too, just to see how they would blend in i mean we even worked with dane cook before he got big you know i mean it it was just a matter of finding you know the right combination and we were always very excited to you know do different do different things on our lineups but one constant was that these guys were you know amazing at what they did i mean they were all young at the time and jim norton was but this is before this is before everybody caught fire i mean you know anywhere anyone from bill burr to robert kelly to to uh, uh, to even you know Louis C.K. before he you know got famous, he would do our shows. I mean, so it's important, like you know, like that you establish that hey, it's not just it's about great comedy. It's about yeah. great comedy, and some of these names weren't established at the time, and we decided hey, we're gonna take chances on some of these guys too. I mean, you know, 
it's about putting together a good show, you know, and then but never losing sight. Hey, you know, we ultimately we'd like this to be in a mainstream place. Ultimately, we'd like to be in a comedy club because, you know, that's really where comedy lives. And, you know, and I get it and, you know, alternative. I get it. But if you're if you're if you have an if you have a show that's that you feel has has gotten successful, take it to a comedy club. Let it let it develop there. From from once you have it established, develop it somewhere else. See what happens. You know, I, I think you got to take a chance sometimes. You know, if you if you're doing it in a bar somewhere, you know, in the Lower East Side or something, or you know, in and in, in the back alleys of Hollywood, you know, you you move you move it. You take it to a comedy club and say this worked at this place and it had we drew fifty to sixty people. But now you know we want to get it on the marquee. We want to we want to get a comedy club behind it, and, you know, and, and and honestly, start making money off of it. You know, like you you want to be able to pay the comics that you work with. You know, and that's important too. You can't always ask comics to do free shows. You really do. Uh, you really do want comics to to feel appreciated. And you know, at, at a comedy club, getting paid whether you get a budget from a comedy club or you or you you know sell the tickets yourselves and pay the comics yourself. That's really what you need to do and make make it, you know, it's just so important. Like, we're doing that now at the club. I mean, there are, there are, there are shows that we're recruiting from independent rooms that we feel are really good and, and diverse. And, you know, there's just a variety of good comics. And we're saying, hey, you know what? Try it here. Do it here. Try to, you know, put an admission price on it. Let people appreciate it for what it is. Don't just give it away for free all the time. This is... There really is. You really do need to to put a price on on talent, because it, right. You know, comics shouldn't work for free. They really shouldn't. You know, I mean, whether it's just twenty bucks or, you know, Gas whatever money, it is. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, you really got to You really gotta make people understand. You know, and that's why we charge admission because, you know, hey, you're, that money goes to talent. It's not going to the house. It's paying for talent. You know, that's really what the mission is for. And by bringing those shows here, Chris, by bringing those shows here, it makes your room diverse. It lets people right. know if you come to the stand, you're not just going to see. I mean, I don't know. You people have seen, I don't know if you guys have seen Judah Friedlander, but you'll see Judah Friedlander who's got one style, and then the next guy is completely different. You right. guys don't have the same sure. set shows. Um, I got to tell you guys, this is one thing that I got to talk about because uh, this, is, this is fucking nuts. Last night, you know Richie Redding? <laughs> Richie Redding does a room for five years down in the bowels of New Jersey, right on the fucking border of Philadelphia. Now, I never want to call people white trash or lower than anybody else. These motherfuckers, okay, I go into this room last night, which I'm closing. I got paid decent. I got paid cash, right? Thank God. Chris, there was no teeth, tattoo necks, okay? The oldest man, there was an older man there. 50-something years old, had a black eye, and he was with his wife who was in her 50s or something. It was, the bathroom smelled like people have been fucking pissing on the floor for a month. I don't know how they cleared inspection, Chris. I swear to God. Then I go in the kitchen, and the guy was talking. They had a fucking, they had a raccoon back there or some shit. I don't, not, not when I was there. And I'm looking at these people, and I'm not going to lie. I told them this. I was half joking, but it looked like I was going to perform for fucking animals fucking animals and I'm and I'm looking around and I've been doing this a long time and I'm like man listen I'm getting paid whatever we'll see what happens 
And they're sitting down, and one guy's drunk and yelling, but, like, I have to give them credit. They did police this room. This was a bar show, folks. Okay, this almost looked like, you remember the scene in Airplane where the Girl Scouts were fighting? Okay, and the guy got stabbed in the back in Airplane. This It almost looked like that. And wouldn't you fucking know it, they calmed down. And they listen to the show because he's been doing the show there for five years. They all come from the bar. They sit there. These tattoo motherfuckers, this rough, rough neighborhood. Like, it looked like I didn't know if I was getting the fuck out of there. And they were great. They were the most respectful, tame people. But you know something? It's because he built a brand. He built something, right? For, listen, if you run a show for five years, any comic should know this. If you do a bar show and it's the first or second time they ever did it, expect maybe TVs on. Expect hell gigs. Fucking awful. Okay, now this place smelled like a piss infested fucking, but you know what? The regulars came there. They had a great time. It was a good show. If you build something and don't do a show where you're like, oh, we'll see what happens. We'll wing it and be afraid to police it. You got to police it. You got to police it. Like that's one thing. The best comedy clubs in America police the room for you people not in comedy. What that means is you got somebody there. And if you fucking talk, I like the three strike rule. The three-strike rule is, listen, can you guys please talk? You go, please stop talking. You go up again. Listen, if I come over again. You guys police this room? You guys have? Of course we do. Yeah, we have to. We kicked people out the other night. Did you? We kicked seven girls out, yeah. Oh, fucking seven, seven drunk girls. The fucking worst. Um, what are you going to do? It happens. All right, so let's talk a little history of comedy here. What is the first stand-up special that you saw, the first stand-up special you saw where you were like, fucking blown away by it like blown away by it i mean you know the 80s i grew up with dice i mean that, that's, andrew dice yeah he's well dude i, I mean, mean i saw his uh dice man cometh and you know what was it dice man cometh that was his first that, that was, was his that was his that was the one of the first specials he did and that was in philadelphia he did that that special in philly and it was amazing and you know and you know i did get to see raw and i got to see richard Pryor live on the sunset strip and you know i those all stood out to me, but you know when I saw Dice, it was just this rock and roll guy, you know, and and it stuck with me, and I and comedy really became part of my life as a kid, you know, and I would sneak away and you know to <laughs> uh, buy Dice tapes and, C- and CDs, and you know I wasn't allowed to have them. But Had you still... seen Dice live? Have you seen Dice live? Yeah, of course I've seen Dice live many times. I mean, it's it's you know, look, he is he is what he is. He's he's a prof- he's an entertainer. And, and he puts on a great show, no matter what. Uh, we have a ton of shit to talk about here. Um, and, you know, we're just getting started. What I wanted to ask you was, what would you say to a... Uh, and I don't know, if you can't stay for all the segments, I know you got somewhere to go, you got to split, that's fine. But, uh, you know, just we'll, we'll wrap up the comedy thing, and then what I'll do is, if you got to split, I, I'll, I'll take care of the, you know, the other stuff. You're talking to me? Yeah, yeah. I know, I know you... I'm here. Oh, okay, all right. Um... What would you say to a young comic out there? Now, the advice that I've given to young comics is this, okay? There's, there's two things. Like, people always ask for advice. There's no, there's no such thing as good advice except this, in my opinion, okay? Write as much as you can and get on stage as much as you can. Those two things nobody could say is fucked up. But I also tell people, because I know people listening right now. I know there's people right now all over the place. Seattle, San Francisco, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, fucking wherever you are, Arizona, Vegas, People have to come to New York or L.A., Chris, right? To do comedy? Sure. Yeah, like, I, and, and, and I, I always go back to it, but it's like what Chris Rock said. Chris Rock said, it doesn't matter if you're the funniest dude in Detroit. 
It doesn't matter after a while. You have to come. But what would your advice be to a young comic who is really... Because there are, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I, I really love about uh, about my podcast, besides everything about it, because it's fucking incredible. But, like, the, what, what, what I... <laughs> Uh, no, no, but you know, my listeners are loyal and, and, and one thing that I, I definitely like is that I not only have people that just like to listen to comedians shoot the shit and talk, talk sports, talk movies and all that stuff, but there's a lot of comedians that listen and I always say leave there, but you can't really like, what would you say to a comedian that's sitting in Nevada right now who's really funny and they're trying to get up, but they're just like, they're like, um, I mean, I guess you'd have to say like, you have to take the chance and go, right? You have to. I mean, I honestly would say if you're serious about stand-up and only stand-up, I would say come to New York. Don't go to L.A. Uh, come to New York first. Uh, you know, you can always go to L.A. later on, but to hone your craft, to develop as a comedian, you're not going to be able to find as many places to do stand-up than in New York. I mean, every night of the week, you can find a place to do, to do stand-up, whether it's an open mic, whether it's a... An indie show somewhere, whether it's a bar show, whether it's a comedy club, you're always gonna find a room where you can do, where you can work out material. I can't speak for that anywhere else. I mean, you know, I know, I know, comics have been doing comedy for years, move out to LA and struggle to find four or five spots a week where they'd be doing at least three or four spots a night. And uh, you know, that's a real challenge. And I, I, I honestly think that it would be a mistake for someone who's young and trying to get stage time to do to go anywhere else they they really should come to New so York. you would say new york first for sure like that like yeah, without a doubt without la a doubt. would be a mistake you think it's, it's not that it's a mistake i mean it just depends on what you're trying to do if you're trying to just if you're com trying to accomplish becoming an actor and all that stuff no you know i guess there's more but, there's but more it, opportunity out there for that but you're one in many you know what i mean where in new york you are you're still one of many, but, but you can get stronger you know, here, right? You can get stronger here, and I can, agree with that. You can perform more, you can do other things, uh, whereas in L.A. you're really just one of a lot of people trying to do the same thing, and that's it's a dangerous place sometimes. When you look at comics, when you like look at young comics and shit, because like I always like wondered like when I was coming up and, and even now, because industry you know is just starting to really fucking know who I am recently, you know, uh, and you know. Do, it's it's a lot more than certain jokes, isn't it? Don't you? You look for cadence. You look for like you it's look for confidence. You look for complete package. Stage presence is very important. The ability to tell a joke is is extremely important. It's material is always the the most important thing. If you have great material, the other things you could actually learn. You know, it takes time to get comfortable on stage, delivering a joke several different ways. You know, before you feel like you got it right. Uh, you know, even some people just developing an on stage persona. You know, like. That's, it's important to have, but if you don't have material, then you're really sunk, you know, I mean, you can't just go up there and wing it, you know, yeah. crowds, crowds are smarter than that, you know, and, and industry smarter than that. Yeah, they could, they could see it. Like, I remember, like, when I was coming up, like, I felt, everyone told me, like, my presence and, and, you know, my confidence and stuff. I think, like, some of my jokes were good, but I was just too young to talk about anything, like, like, real, uh, you know, but. And then as you grow as a person and shit, you just, you have some shit to say and you have some, some honesty. And that's really, I got to be honest, that's when people pay attention, man. When you're saying something and people are like, oh shit, like this is not just some fucking either misdirection or, or, you know, bullshit, you know, bullshit joke. And, and you're going to go through hell, you know? I mean, I, I know you saw it and, and like, like, I got to be honest with you. If I was not 
in this game as long as I've been in it. Last night would have been fucking... I mean, and the, and the drunk person fell on his face and then a baby showed up. Like, Chris, this is like a comedy movie. A baby showed up. Like, this fucking low... Tr- like, fucking unbelievably... It was like fucking animals in there and then a baby was in there. And I was like, that's my cue. I gotta get the fuck out of here. I got... You know, but you go through hell, but that's what you gotta do. I... I, I you know, I, I started in black rooms. You gotta drive places far. You gotta fucking... I drove to Milwaukee to fucking lose a hundred bucks. You know, you got, I drove to Chicago 15 hours for a three minute audition and I fucking got it, but I had to get in the car and do it. And, and I talked about it on a recent podcast. Uh, Burr had Michael Rappaport on his podcast. Mm -hmm. You know what Michael Rappaport said? He goes, you don't come to Los Angeles if you want to maybe try acting. He goes, you come to Los Angeles if you have no fucking choice. Like, that's the thing. So listen, you know. And, and, and I, I really, and I got into, I got into a debate. I got into an argument. I'm not going to mention the comedians that I got into an argument. I was talking about this today and I apologize for all you non-comedian or non-comedy people. If you don't like this, I know the people in comedy are loving this, this podcast right now. And I know the people who don't are like, when are we going to get to some other shit? And we will get to some other shit. Okay. But I got into, I got into an argument, man, with somebody and I'm not trying to be some fucking rah-rah positive motherfucker. Okay. I'm not, I'm just trying to be real and I'm trying to be honest. Okay, we're sitting down at the comedy table downstairs at the stand, and I'm talking to some comedians, and I'm just listening to comedians go, oh, it seems like a young man's game. Oh, industry wants alt. Oh, this, all that. And every time I was like, man, just get better, man. Have fun. You didn't get into it to get famous. Just fucking do it. I was like, yeah, but. Oh, yeah, but. And it was always just like, and it's like, what's the fucking alternative? Like, what's the, what's the alternative? What are you going to do? It's like, then quit. You know, like, if, like, listen, man, you either fucking, I, I think there's a couple of things. One, I do think to a certain extent, you know, Pat Cooper, the legendary Pat Cooper said, you either fucking have it or you don't. I don't know if that's true. I think you can develop skills, but I do think you're either funny and you're going to know if you can do this very early. But it, it, it's not, if you want to do it and give it the run it fucking needs, you have to give it what it needs. You will get back like anything else, what you put into this fucking thing. You know what I mean? It's like if you're having sex with a chick. And, and, you know, you're just fucking, <laughs> you know, you're not really into it. You're just fucking going through the motions. When it's over, it's going to be shitty sex, right? But you throw her legs up and you fucking really give it to her, dude. She's going to she's gonna be like, yo, I got to fuck it. That was fucking, this guy wanted it. So I just, maybe that's a crazy analogy. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. And I just like, if you, like, comedians should get out of the circles of negativity. If you're sitting there at a comedy club or you're sitting there with your friends and it's like, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but that. You don't fucking be there. It's not, like, I'm telling you, man, like, there's a, you can't be like that. You can't be negative. And, Chris, you know some of the people I'm talking about. And, again, I can't mention names, but I can't listen to comedians worried about what other comedians are doing. Don't you agree that too many comedians worry about what other comedians are doing? Yeah. And it's like, fuck it, man. Just get funny. You're guilty of that sometimes, too. And I, I, you know, you're you're a lot better at it now. When I first started working with you, you, that's... It's true. You were consumed with that, and it's not it's not a good idea to look at everybody else. You just got to go up there and be undeniable and kill it every time you're doing because you just never know who's watching, or you just never know you know what you can what you can develop while you're on stage. You, you know, but if you go on stage with a negative attitude and you know always thinking about what what someone else just did, you know that's where you find yourself in in a spot where you can't grow because you're just thinking that. No matter what you do, someone else, you know, they're not looking at you. They're looking at someone else. And that's not true. I mean, no. you, you just got to go up there and, and do what you think 
And it's not personal. One thing I've learned no. from people, it's not personal. And I'm a real, like, as much as I, you know, I am definitely, I think I'm definitely somebody that um, I'm confident, you know, I'm confident in my, in my, you know, in what I do. And, and I love what I do. But I'm definitely, and I mentioned it before, man, I'm a sensitive dude. I'm, I'm a, like every other comic, I'm an insecure dude. And you go through that. And you're right. I used to, you know, I Chris, I used to call Chris. If I saw somebody I thought I was funnier than on The Tonight Show, I would call the first call. i call Chris at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. i call Chris at 1 o'clock in the morning and be like, dude, this guy's on fucking The Tonight Show, man. Come on. Like, you know, and it was just like, no. I remember one time I did a, I did a, I did a showcase for a network. And as I was going up, I'm going, they don't even fucking want me here. And, and you were like, you go, dude, just fucking do what you, you know, just do what you do. And it's like, yeah, what am I doing? And I realized nothing in this business is personal. You go up there, you get undeniable, you shove yourself down their throats with fucking being awesome, okay? And they can't fucking stop it. And you know something? Guys like Chris, who even if you didn't like a guy, right? Let's say, let's say for example, because there's comics you don't like in New York City. True. And we have a list that Chris is going to go over right now. We got 10 people <laughs> that get, no. Um, <laughs> Chris doesn't like certain comedians and 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 now but if you saw them consistently do something and you change you would be like oh i don't have a personal vendetta against the fucking like no. you, you know what i mean like you, you, you just don't like them as human beings <laughs> <laughs> just don't like anything about anything they do they can be hilarious i'm not gonna deny that you, <laughs> you know but will you guys work with somebody that you think is hilarious but treats you like comes in no, like fuck, you not. won't right no you got, like if somebody comes in and they're like they're really funny, but they're just no, fucking. It's, it's about character too, you know. It's about walking into a room with somebody, you know. You gotta you gotta feel hundred percent about that person, you know. If you if you walk into a meeting with a guy who you think is really funny, but you know are not hundred percent about him as a human being, you got a problem right there. The synergy is all wrong, and you have a less of a chance to sell something to you know market this person, pitch this person to, you know, to, to just kind of develop with this person because you don't believe in this person as a human being, you know, and that's important. You know, as a manager, you're going to get burned by those guys. You're going you're gonna to get burned by the people who don't have character. So it's very important that the person you walk in with this guy's going to go into a network meeting and be a fucking dick. Right, but it's also someone you, you like as a person and believe in as a, as a, as a performer. So... You know, for me, I think it's a waste of time to work. I, I know other managers do it, but I think it's a waste of time to work with someone you really don't like just because, you know, they're going to make you money and, and whatever. Yeah, you guys you guys won't do that here. All right, well, listen, um, guys, like you said, like, and, and you're open to talk to anybody, right? Like if a comic wants to come in and talk to you at the stand. I usually do, yeah. No, Chris is one of those guys. I don't, like shun, if you're, I don't shun anyone. No, if you're a young comic and you come to New York, man, and you listen to the podcast, come in and say, hey, Chris, you know, I'd love to look at the room and he'll talk to you, man. It's like, it's it's kind of, that's what I like about this place. It's not like, you don't get the sense here. Like certain clubs, you get the sense like when you walk in, and I've heard it in LA too, it's like real clicky and it's like that, but it's really not like that here, man. Like here, it's like everybody, you guys listen to everybody, you'll listen to what anybody has to say, you put anybody on stage and, you know, I'm going to end the comedy part of the, um, I'm going to end the comedy part of the podcast there because... Um, I think you guys basically, you know, understand Chris was talking about, you know, what he looks for and all that stuff. And, you know, um, and check out CH entertainment. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to be working with these guys. They do good shit. And, uh, you know, they got some shit on the hook that they better get me. They know it. Um, but listen, here, here, here's, here's what we're going to do now. 
Okay, we're going to talk about some stuff. Oh, by the way, I don't know. Did you get this bug? Did you get this stomach bug? No. All right. Here's what happened. Um, I got the stomach flu, everybody. This shit that's been going around the country fucking people up. I got it. Okay, here's what happened. My son got it, and he started throwing up. Then all of a sudden, I go to do a gig. And, uh, oh, we did a fundraiser for Jody, uh, uh, Jody Weiner, who is, um, Vinnie Mark's wife, who was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And, uh, me and Mike Spears and Chris Lamberth, we did a, um, a really nice benefit for her at Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights. It was really, really nice. And everybody who came out was amazing. The night I get there, okay, which they did it a week ago. The night I get there, my wife calls me and says, did you get there yet? I'm, I'm getting sick. I'm, I think I'm going to throw up. And then I guess my mother-in-law had come over. Okay, now, I'm like, shit, man. My son, now my wife. I go home. The next day, my daughter gets it, and everybody in my house is sick with the flu. I think I beat it. So I come to the stand for the... Um, you know, there was a couple of people here after the Patrice tribute, which was really nice, by the way, and amazing that you guys did that. Uh, I had a great after party here. Um, and then I go home, and I was going to take my son out, and all of a sudden, guys, you feel it, man. When you feel that stomach clung going, oh, my God, I might throw up. And my wife goes, oh, man, stop being so dramatic. You're not going to – the way I did it, I just stopped, and I go, no, shit's going to get bad. Yeah, I was a little over dramatic, guys. I threw up 15 times. I was shitting my fu- excuse me, whoever's listening to this. I hope you're not eating. I was shitting after. You know what? I I, I didn't I didn't I didn't shit first, which was amazing. I was like, man, I threw up 14 times, wanted to die. I felt like I had 105 fever. I had the, that's the worst, right? You've had that stomach flu. That that's the stomach flu. The only thing good about it is you lose it, you drop a couple pounds. But I was fucked up. And then I'm like, well, maybe I won't get the, maybe I won't get the other side. Maybe this diarrhea won't come in. Hell flew out of my ass for two hours. Okay, I couldn't. It was a miserable, miserable 24 hours. I was moaning in pain, and the thought of death overcame me. Like at least if I died right now, and then it slowly got better. I'm sure people here have had that. You didn't get it yet, right? No, yeah. All right, good. I don't, I don't think you're gonna. I'm not get looking it. forward to that. No, no, no. It was that stomach flu is running through the country, like fucking. I don't know, man. Like a freight train. <laughs> like a freight. What was that movie? Like a freight train from hell. Oh, uh, oh, oh, uh, Wyatt Earp said that shit. Uh, Kurt Russell. You tell him I'm coming. Oh, no, no. You tell Kevin him Costner, I'm Kevin Costner, wasn't it? No, that, Kevin Costner was Wyatt Earp, right. but uh, uh, Kurt Russell was Wyatt Earp in um, Tombstone oh, with, with Val Kilmer in them. That's going to lead us to some, some movies here. Also, Chris is going to have whatever you think is unacceptable. You got to do unacceptable for the week. Whatever you think. You just come up with an unacceptable. But we got some movies. We got some sports. I think I'm the fly now. We got some, yeah, you know, we got time. We got time. Okay, guys, I got more movies for you, okay? I got more movies for you, and I'm actually doing this podcast while the Oscars are going on. Fuck the Oscars. The podcast was more important, all right? I saw Identity Theft with Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy is fucking hilarious. She's a female Chris Farley. She, yeah, she is. She's like a female Chris Farley, but, like, she holds the movie, man. Yeah. Like, she, she was killing it, and I know the movie got bad reviews. I actually like Jason Bateman, too, but... She killed this movie, and, you know, I was talking to somebody. I think my mom saw the movie. My mom goes, you know something? Melissa McCarthy could win an Oscar for a drama. Like, she cried, like, when she needed to cry. Really funny. It it did remind me. You know what it was like, Chris? You see Midnight Run with uh Yeah. Midnight. No, come on. Come on. What? You don't like? It? No, you can't. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it. No, no. You didn't let me finish. Look, look. He's such a movie guy, too, that's that he ridiculous. almost jumped on me. No, he said it's ridiculous. No, no, listen. <laughs> no. Midnight Run with uh, De Niro and... 
uh, Grodin is is just it's epic. But they, they they modeled this. They modeled like the story where he's like she's taking an identity. He's got to come back across country with her, and then obviously they develop a relationship. Melissa McCarthy had me laughing out loud. She was fucking hilarious in it. And I would say this, not worth, probably not worth the. $12 in the theater. When it comes out on DVD, you'll laugh your ass off. Okay, so I would definitely see. She also killed it in Bridesmaids. And someone said she was in another movie. Oh, she's in this new movie, The Heat. By the way, which Bill Burr is in, uh, I believe. I thought it was the stand-up guys. Oh, he's, he was, uh, Bill, yeah, by the way, if you go check out my buddy Bill Burr, you guys know him, amazing comedian. Uh, he's in stand-up guys right now with Alan Arkin, uh, Christopher Walken, and Al Pacino. And uh, The Heat, I believe he's got a spot in that. Uh, with Sandra Bullock and, um, and and Melissa McCarthy. But Melissa McCarthy's blowing up, and you know something? They're not, like, just shoving her, like, she's she's a, she's for real. Melissa McCarthy's for real, man. She's funny. She's a female Chris Farley. She's, that's that's really what she is. I mean, that's the best way to describe her. And, and, you know, you know how funny Chris Farley movies are. She's on that path, you know. She's, she's And has there been another female like that? There's never been a female like her, right? Or a fat, funny chick. Yeah, there's been fat, funny chicks. No, before. I know, but like, they, not not that have been like in like movies like, like uh, like Rosie O'Donnell's funny. Like well, Rosie O'Donnell, but like she's she's a physical comic. You know what I mean? Like, what about Roseanne? She, Roseanne was not a physical comic. She wasn't. You know, she had her sitcom, and you know she she thought she was. She wasn't a movie star comic. She wasn't a movie star. Melissa McCarthy is a physical comic. You know, she, she, she's, there's no boundaries for her. She's willing to do anything. And as long as she knows that she's going to be cast as this fat, funny girl in every movie and kill it, then we don't have a problem. You know what I mean? So if she starts to be a... Did you see Bridesmaids? Yeah, absolutely. What did you think about it? I mean, it was not my cup of tea, but, you know, I think I, I could see why it's funny and everything. Do you like Melissa McCarthy in it? She's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Identity Theft is, like I said, it's DVD... But it's definitely amusing and great. Now I gotta talk about a horror movie, Chris. You like horror movies? What's your favorite horror movie of all time, Chris? Like your like like movie that really scared the shit out of you? Like you're like I mean, the Elm Street movies were the classics for me. The first one, the first one scared the shit yeah, out of everybody. Those, those shit, those just are crazy. That was that was some scary shit. <laughs> scary, scary shit. I wish you guys knew Chris more because for Chris to just say that, like, like Chris is definitely like a laid back, but for him to go, that was some scary shit. Like he, he, he that shit scared him. I mean, think about it. when you were growing up and you watched it. I mean, you watch Elm Street now and probably doesn't hold up. No, no, obviously. But I mean, watching Elm Street when it first came out, that 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 creeped into your dreams, man. <laughs> I did. I did. You thought you were afraid to dream about Freddy Krueger, you know? I just saw a movie that made my. There's no one as badass as Freddy Krueger nowadays. I mean, like, think about all the scary movies. Isn't it? No, but Jason fucked him up, dude. Jason fucked him up in Freddy vs. Jason. No, who cares about that? No, I'm just saying, like, I mean, you know, if you put him on the... No, I guess because you, you, nobody could go into your dreams, so that's good. But Mike Myers, to me, was one of the scariest nah, because... he didn't hold his candle up to Freddy Krueger. No, but Freddy said stupid lines. Like, Mike Myers would just grab you and fuck you up. Um, he saw those... He still... Don't think about those, those blades on his hands? Come on. No, listen, he was creepy and he said shit, but the thing about Mike Myers was he didn't do the thing where... You know what, you know, in the hard movies... People they, were scared to fall asleep. For weeks after watching one of those. No, that's movies. true. Listen, he, he has the edge with the dreams. 
The thing about Mike Myers was the killings were brutal. He didn't let you run. He just grabbed you. He had no expression because that's a William Shatner. You know that? Right. The, the, he had that William Shatner white thing with the hair, and he had no expression, and he would just fuck you up. But anyway, I saw a horror movie. I think everybody, if you like horror, you have to see it. It's a great movie. I think, I'm going to actually say it's a great movie, and it was Ethan Hawke's new horror movie, Sinister. Okay, made my dick start crawling back up or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it gave me, it fucked me up. Okay, the movie Sinister is Ethan Hawke is a writer, but he writes true crime. Okay, and what he does is he kind of moves his family to the area where the crime happened. And it's like there's always a missing person, and he's looking for it. And he doesn't know if it's a serial killer. He doesn't know what's going on. But he moves his family, and he writes these books based on a true crime that happened, and there's a missing child. And he moves into this house, and a lot of his books are, like, really messed up to, against cops, so the cops don't like him there. And shit goes down. Freddy Krueger, man. No, I'm telling you. Listen, you got to see, because this was Freddy not... Kruger. Yeah, but this, the, I mean, no, but Chris, nobody. This is a suspense film you're talking about. But it's a horror. It's, it's un... not a horror movie. Well, see, but see, you we're think we're talking about straight horror. You're talking about killers. I'm talking about screaming flicks. That no, is... this isn't a scream flick. Well, that's then that's not a horror movie. Then it's classified as a thriller. That's a different movie. But no, but it's under horror. Like Cape Fear. That's. It's a thriller. No, but, but this has some shit. People say because of what it is, it's a horror movie. No, but this has some supernatural I shit in it. Whatever, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Listen, if you guys like to be scared, because I don't like nothing. You know what scares me? So I don't even first like, of all, if you're spending money, if you're spending money in a movie theater to get scared, I think that's always a bad, a bad move. No, I do too, and I, I've, I've, I am adamant on go, this. Go show. laugh. Go pay to get. Go no, pay to laugh. I agree, and that's I've said that said. many times on this podcast. I'm not big on horror. Although, and, and, and Exorcist fucked me up. That's a scary movie, okay? That's a scary movie to me. She's in bed the whole time. <laughs> just fucking like, put a lock on the door and walk Oh, shit. That's, Never go into the room. Said like a true Italian. She's in bed the whole time. Who gives a fuck? Let's go out and eat. She's there. She's in a bedroom. We leave. Put a bucket of acid on her. She's gone. That's fucking hilarious, man. You, you know? just said she's in bed the whole time. Actually, you made me feel like a dick being scared of it. But no, that whole shit, like the demon stuff, freaked she's me out. She's in bed the whole time. That's funny. That's funny. Never go in the room. Listen. Walk away. Trust me. Fuck Chris talking about Freddy Krueger in 1985. Freddy Krueger. Okay. Sinister. See it. It will. It's crazy. It, it is a suspense thriller. It almost feels like a crime thing. But then some shit happens that you're like, wow. That's a suspense. You know Derek Gaines, how hilarious is that when Derek, talk, Derek Gaines go, oh, that shit fucked me up. <laughs> Derek Gaines is another client. Funny comic. Check check Derek Gaines out. But uh, Don't spend your money on this film. I thought you were going to say don't spend your money on Derek. But that's fucked mm-hmm. up. He's funny. Uh, no, no, no. It's on demand. You know, It's not in theaters. If you're home on demand, four ninety five, Ethan Hawke. Don't spend four ninety five on it. Oh, but they should get the nineteen eighty fucking two version of Elm Street. What are you talking about? They can get that for free. I, I'm just saying, if you guys like horror, it's probably on Netflix. If you guys like horror and like this wasn't you that downloaded like, illegally. <laughs> <laughs> just Sinister's a good one. Identity Theft. Kick ass Torrance. Now. For you movie buffs, we're going to get a little geeky for you movie buffs for a second here because Chris is a movie nut job, okay? Chris broke down Godfather to me in a way. Actually, let me ask you this, Chris. Um, you're not getting fucking anal about the thing like Matt Reese, are you? No. What's your favorite movie of all time? The Paper. What? The Paper. What's The Paper? Exactly. That's What's it. The Paper? 
It's a movie with Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, Robert Duvall, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid, a bunch of other people. It's all about revolving around... Whoa, one. whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This one. is a Verzi effect first. You just mentioned a movie as one of your favorites, and I don't even fucking know it, and yeah, I'm a movie buff. you stink. <laughs> wait a minute. you stink. The Paper. The Paper. It's the- uh, Ron Howard directed it. What year? Yeah. What year are we talking? 1991. Wow, you're on it. What's it about? It's a... I was trying to say. Okay, that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Keep cutting me off. No, no, man. sorry, sorry, but I didn't hear about it. I feel like I feel like a dick. Go ahead. The paper. It's uh, it's basically like the day in a life of of uh, of a news reporter and uh, and like the surroundings of it and it's this chaotic day and what takes you through uh, getting a story from beginning to end and all the fucking. Oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That's because you were a fucking journalist. No, no, because it's a great fucking... I just gave you a cast. Did you hear what the cast No, no, cast that, is, that is... That is a, that Robert is a, Duvall. That's a sick cast. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Who's the star? Keaton, who's the reporter? Keaton? Keaton. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Keaton, when he was at his peak, you know what I mean? So he was he was a star at that time. So it was Keaton. This is like Keaton, Batman yeah, Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right around the same time. Keaton, Marissa Tomei, Glenn Close, I mean, she's legendary. Uh, Robert Duvall, like I said, uh, you know, Randy Quaid was hilarious in that movie, hilarious. Uh, and it's just a great movie. It moves fast. It's funny. It's you know. Is anything funnier than Randy Quaid in the Vacation movies? Was yes. he funnier? He I'll was tell fun- you right now. He was I'll tell fun- you right now. My second favorite movie of all time. What? Quick Change. You know Quick Change? I heard of Quick Change. I didn't see it. Ah, that's crazy. Quick Change is by far. Wait, Randy Quaid was in that. Uh, uh, Randy Quaid's in that movie. Who's with, the woman in it? Uh, is she's oh, just game. It's top of my. Quick change. Tell me a Fuck. Redhead. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're running in the street. I remember yeah, some who, shit. Yeah, who? Why does it? It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't Dreyfus, wasn't it? Was he? No, Dreyfus isn't in that. Who's the redhead? Bet Miller. No, not Bet Miller. Too old at that time. Um. Quick change. I remember, but no, do Randy. Anyway, it's Bill Burr. Bill Burr is not Bill Burr. Bill Murray's best movie. I thought. Uh, I think he's phenomenal. It's all about these guys who rob a bank and they're trying to get out of New York, but they can't because of all the bullshit that happens in New York. Traffic, uh, construction, all kinds of crazy shit, and the cops are after them at the same time. Seriously, it's just a masterful movie. And Bill Bill Burr, I keep saying Bill Burr, Bill Murray wrote it and directed it. It's amazing. You guys gotta watch that. All right, so write these movies down then. The Paper, Quick Change, Sinister... Uh, you'll get. We're giving you a list here. Okay. Um, all right, Godfather nerds. Here we go. Chris is gonna break something down for you right here. All right. If you like, if you like the Godfather, this is this show is running long. It's a hundred. We're gonna. I'm here with my manager, and uh, this is good. I, I I love how this is going right now because I'm able to sit here and. And do everything I wanted to do on Gina the show. Tina Davis, that's who. Tina Davis, Tina Davis. God damn. Do everything I wanted on the show. We're gonna go right down through the sports and all that shit. Okay, so don't worry. If you like the part of the show that's sports, it's coming. But we got some movies right now. Now I asked you a question a long time ago. Okay, I asked you a question because we've had ridiculous conversations on the phone. Um, if you ever want to talk to Chris Italia for a really long time, talk to him about a legendary movie and actor. Talk to him about sports or talk to him about a restaurant because it, it just goes off on an unacceptable, unacceptable cha- tangent. Now, I asked Chris, who is a better godfather? Michael Corleone, who was the son of Vito right. Corleone, okay, obviously played by Marlon Brando was Vito. Al Pacino played uh, Michael, who, you know, who took over 
took over the family. And I asked you a question, and I said, who do you think was a better Don? And you said to me, and I thought you were going to probably say Michael, just because Michael was in the films more. And you said to me, no, Marlon Brando. And the greatest thing you said was because because they were always testing Michael. R- r- d- d- uh, right. Elaborate on that for the for the fans. Yo, this is some breakdown shit. This is great. Well, you don't. Well, you don't understand. You got. What you have to understand about about uh, Don Corleone, Vito Corleone, is that they waited until he was. You know, they shot him, obviously, uh, but that was the only way to kind of you know get to him and then try to take away his empire and even then they couldn't do that uh whereas michael they would always hit him they would always you know they got to his brother you know they under don under vito Colleone, that would have never happened it just wouldn't happen like you he was so strong and had his family so tight that there would never be harm or there would never be Betrayal or treason within so they wouldn't within test the family. Vito. They wouldn't race. test Vito. They wouldn't even bother. That's why they had to try and kill him just to get him out of the way. Otherwise, they just knew they could never take what he had. You can in that in that meeting with the five families. If you if you take a look, they're all pissed off because he's got the politicians, he's got the cops, he's got everybody, and they're like, you don't share that with us. That's why this happened. You know what I mean? And he got that basically all on his own, you know, whereas Michael inherited a lot of that stuff. And while he tried to expand into other businesses and other avenues, his greatness, uh, you know, can all be taken away by just the fact that they turned his brother against him. You know, if you can get a, you get your brother against you, that means there's something wrong with you. This means it's, you're not as strong as your father was, wow. and he wasn't, and he just wasn't, he just wasn't, if you think about it, he just wasn't as, he was constantly trying to be as great as his dad, and and do what his dad would have wanted him to do, and if you, obviously all in the movies, there's always callbacks to what his father would do in a certain situation, and you know, he even deviates that, you know, he even says, you know, this is, you know, this is what my father would do, and you know, there's that, there's that uh, scene where he sits down with his mother, and he talks about what would my father do in this situation because he is always trying to tap what his father did in the past. He's trying to figure it out, you know, because he hasn't, you know, and whereas, you know, in Godfather 1, you really you really feel like at all times Vito Corleone's in control completely. In Godfather 2, when they take you back and Robert De Niro's playing the role of Vito Corleone, you can tell he's leading, he's a leader. He decides to take down that guy. He decides to, you know, take over the neighborhood. I mean, he is... Every move he makes is calculated. Every move he, you know, he, uh, every move he does is, is effective, and it, it works. It all works. So the most important thing, the most important thing to take away from that, is that you know, Michael was, Michael took the family to other heights, but really, you know, Don Corleone, Vito Corleone is established the name made the family so, so Michael made a lot of mistakes Michael made a lot of mistakes is what you're saying so he was a, but he was was he stronger than uh, was he stronger than um, Vito like was he was he tougher or do you think because here's the thing that I want to say Here, here's what I want to say about about um, about Michael Corleone Michael Pacino developed him he got he got he got evil almost it's almost like he got you know what I look at it like like you know the way Vader in Star Wars, like Anakin, he started to get, 
Because what happened when you first met Anakin, right? Now, this is some really geek shit, so I know, I know, guys. We're, we're on some shit, but... Making comparisons to Star Wars no, to no, Godfather. No, but it's going to be fucking good. Watch. Anakin's this cute little kid. You know, he's racing pods. He's doing things. He starts to, you know, he's like, he's, and then he becomes this, this young Jedi, and then he slowly fucking turned into what he turned into. Michael Corleone comes back from the war. He's like this shy little kid, right? He was almost like a shy young guy. You know, he's with his girlfriend, uh, Diane Keaton. He's like, hey, this I want you to introduce. He was very shy, soft-spoken, right. and, like, you didn't know what he was capable of. And then all of a sudden, see, the thing is he was smart. One of my favorite scenes is in The Godfather when he's sitting there and he goes, it's not going to work. You got to hit You got to hit him. Like, remember he basically said you got to kill him? Right. He said you got to kill him. And then, and then Sonny goes, oh, oh, look at this. The, look at the college boy is going to fucking go kill somebody now. But what happened was that was a smart, in, in that situation, that was a smart move. Because right. that was when he started. It was the most unexpected move. It, it was the most unexpected move. But he knew. And you know something? No one else was thinking like that. He right. wanted to get the root of the problem because he yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, look, you're not taking anything away from Michael Corleone. He was, he, the character is a great, strong character. But but it would never happen with his father. Right. If you're asking who the better Don was, it's definitely, without, without a question is Rita Colleon because and again it's you know think about think about even going down even getting into Godfather 3 you know oh yeah what's your take on that too first well, of all Godfather 3 is awful but that's not the point alright but the, the point is Godfather 3 they show his weakness again <laughs> it was awful <laughs> because they they you know some guy some low run guy like Joe Montaigne playing that character Joey Zaza you know pulls a move like he did you know that would never happen in any you know crime family uh like that you know and the reality is no mob hit ever involved a fucking helicopter but that being said (laughs) (laughs) yeah like three got a little fucking you know like joey zaza in real life joey zaza joey zaza's level of gangster would never have access to a helicopter you know what i mean and would never pull some kind of shit like that um (laughs) But <laughs> no, mo- I love that. No mob hit in history involved a right. chopper. Right, and that w- and it never will happen. So <laughs> I don't know who, the, what the fuck they were thinking when they wrote that into the script. But uh, and why? Yeah, like and why did they like write? They did, they wrote certain things in, and then like I it, it, the thing about three is Michael got soft. Like he, he, you know, I know that he had regret about his brother, but like it got really weird when he went back to Italy, right? Well, because he just. You know, he was done with it at that point, man. He didn't, he didn't want to be part of a crime family. He, he just wanted to... He wanted his family back. He was just trying to... It's all about... Uh, you know, when, when Vito Corleone dies, you know, he dies knowing that he... You know, he left a family behind to take care of things. When Michael Corleone dies, there's no one to take care of things. And... Right. And all he was doing in that scene in Sicily was just trying to get some semblance of family back. And, you know, when his daughter dies, that's the end of it for him. Like, he completely failed as a, as a person. Because the, you know the, one thing, the one thing his father always did was protect, try to protect his children. You can tell, obviously, when, when Sonny dies, you know, Vito calls a truce. Because um, he's not going to allow more to happen. Uh, whereas in that scene in Godfather 3, like, you know, uh, Michael Corleone couldn't stop his kid from dying, and so he's he basically suffers the same kind that of. That movie was so bad and forgetful that I forgot she died. <laughs> I just remember him. I mean, leaning. she was bad in it, and I mean, it's, it was her first movie, pretty much. But like you know, it just wasn't a well acted movie. They didn't use Andy Garcia the right way, and you know, not having Robert Duvall as an anchor was a huge mistake. mistake. They should have paid him whatever. Well, the didn't he not want to do it though? No, he wanted. Well, he didn't think the, the original script was strong enough. But you know, he was gonna do it. 
and they just didn't want to pay him what he wanted, and they should have paid him whatever because George Hamilton was an albatross. That was that was a fucking <laughs> holy shit. I mean, how do you how do you go from Robert Duvall to George Hamilton? You know, <laughs> I love the word. That's fucking great. Uh, what one or two? Are you a one or two guy? Two, two, because it really two shows you the strength of Don, of Vito Corleone. I really like going back in time uh, and watching that. You know, getting 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 to find out how how it all happened. I mean, that first scene where they're uh, when they're in Sicily, where they're walking up that mountain after the brother was killed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like that's. Man, that's some and the actors they chose in that man that the dialect, the scene, perfect. I mean, so freaking good. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola just. I mean, he's from Sicily. I get it, but like, just the way that that the the mom spoke, uh, Vito's mom spoke. It's perfect, man. I I know women like that, you know, from yeah. back in the old country. You know, like are you Sicilian? Yeah, I'm Sicilian. So like, it it just it's it. There's definitely for me it, it, like. You know the hairs in the back of my head stand up when I hear the accent because it's so it's real. It's so real for me. You know I've heard women speak that way in, in Sicily, and it, it's just a great. It's great the way they incorporated Sicily and, and Godfather too. What's your favorite uh, favorite um, mob movie of all time? Is it two? Is it I gotta or? say it's Godfather two. Yeah, I mean I would say. I mean I, I know everybody says Goodfellas, Goodfellas, but you know Goodfellas to me was just it's just. Knowing that it wasn't true, Goodfellas is a lot of bullshit. You know that's really yeah because Goodfellas. Well, because I heard that it was based on true stuff. It's based but, but on true stuff, but Henry Hill lied about a lot of that shit. You know, like uh, you know, he killed a ton of people. Henry yeah. Hill killed a ton of people. So he and was he was in this guy like that whole scene in the end. I was like, I knew when. When uh, that was gonna be the first time, yeah, 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 no, bullshit. The guy fucking he he, he, he went he out hit, and whack people. He was whacking people all the time. So the, that scene, he right passed there, away recently, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that whole scene is just it just takes the uh, the authenticity away from from the characters because you're like, well, you know that that guy probably killed people. You know, even when you were watching it for the first time, you knew he killed people. Now, the, but the Paul Cicero character is real, right? That 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 all the characters are based on real people. Yeah. All the characters based on real people. Jimmy Conway died, but he was going to get at it. His name was really Jimmy Burke. See that, folks? I'm telling you, this guy, man, and, and we got more. Now, there's two more things we got to talk to Chris about because Chris was actually, uh, we have to, I, and, and I want everybody listening to the Verzi Effect right now to take a pen out when I tell you. Not yet. What? No, no, no. We're going to get into that. Don't worry, because right. Chris is going to tell you, and, and he's not... I have no idea what he's talking about. No, he really has no idea, but I'm going to tell you guys right now. I'm going to do you guys a favor. So you're going to get something from this. You're getting the movie talk, everything. We got to get into sports right now, okay? Because we are at a, we are at a, an, we're over over an hour. Um, for people that don't know, uh, Chris, well, Chris and I met in weird. We're actually both from New York, and we happen to both be in Los Angeles. And he's my manager now, but it basically was based off of us meeting in Los Angeles. Right. Um, we talked, I was out there with Matt Arise doing stuff and networking and whatever, and, and this is, you know, whatever. But I didn't know, I thought Chris was just a, a comedy guy. You were actually, real quick, I just want to get into it because I talk sports and I'm going to get into some Knicks now. You were a sports journalist, this guy was a fucking sports journalist, and you, 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 did you report on the Knicks at all? Did you, did you write, you write about the Knicks? 
I covered a couple games. I was mostly when I was at Daily News. Uh, yeah, New York I, Daily News. By the way, he I was working the college beat mostly: St. John's, Syracuse, Big East uh, basketball, and I did some baseball here and there. But I never really got into the Knicks. I covered a couple big games, but that's about it. Uh, you you interviewed some big people, right? Like Daryl Strawberry, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Daryl Strawberry. I've I've had the pleasure of writing about a bunch of times, and you know, to this day, we, we remain good friends. Good guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Great guy. Really, like, you know, like all the things that he did in the past. Those things are really behind him. He's such a fucking great guy, man. He, you know, he's doing doing so much for charity, uh, and you know, just a super super nice guy. And he's he's the real deal, man. He's a real deal. And when you walk with him through the city streets. It's like walking with a beetle. It's amazing. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. People, when you're eating in a restaurant with him, just dude, he like, fucked up baseball. Like, I was at a game. I mean, it's one of the best swings I've ever no, seen in my life. I so. was at a game where the Yankees are playing the Red Sox, and this guy hit a home run. And folks, I'm not bullshitting you. When the ball was over second base. When it was on its way out of it, it was higher than the stadium. It was ridiculous. They said that he was pinning the Budweiser yeah. sign in batting practice. Yeah. That guy was that guy. It's a shame because he should have been a Hall of Famer. You don't get you don't get many ball players like him anymore. I mean that's that's the sad part. I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, whether they're juicing or not, you know, that's one thing. But a lot of these guys don't have personality. They're robots. You know what I mean? They're. It's the thing, man. With strawberries, like you knew he was playing with heart. You know, especially when he came back after all the drug use and all that stuff. It was all heart that took him through those last few years of his career. I mean, he, he was working on He was performing just based on his passion and his heart. And, uh, and, and that you could see that when you meet the guy. So, he's yeah. a great guy, a great guy, amazing guy. It's, I, it's a shame he's on the Hall of Fame. It just, you know, but you know what? He, he, get, he gets it. You know, it's not like he's like, oh, man, I should be in there. He knows he, he should be. He knows he doesn't deserve to be as of what he did to himself. So that's the great thing. The humility that that guy has. I mean, he's so humble about his career and understands that, you know, it was him that that, that messed it up. You know, like he doesn't yeah. blame it on anybody else. He screwed up. You know, he had gotten some bad things and, you know, but he was able to come, come back and show people that he could still play and that he was the player that everybody thought he could be and really helped the Yankees in those and, and those team with those teams in the nineties, so he's he's a great player. Uh, you cool with him now? You talk to him? You yeah. got well, got to come to the stands, man. I'm trying to get him, man. Yeah. To get him. <laughs> I would definitely like while I'm performing, I would just stop my show and be like, dude, you hit a home run. I'd have to tell him, like, you hit a home run. You are a fucking monster. Um, you wrote about something though. You wrote about something that that I know some comedians who deal with this, and a lot of people who deal with um, children with autism. But wasn't that your first major? Like, one of your first major stories that when you were writing as a journalist at the New York Daily News, one of your first, like, and you, you was like a big baby. It was like a baby to you, right? Was the was the thing on autism? Oh, yeah. like when, when, but that was before people were really talking about it, I was it, right? one of the first writers to really talk about what it was. And it was, you know, an epidemic at a time. It was growing in, in large numbers. And uh, you know, no one really seemed to understand why or really pay attention to it. And, uh, you know, we... Myself and the writers that you know, I kind of did the stories with. They, we really broke ground on that. And you know, I, you know, I always credit the parents first and foremost because they, they were like, "Hey, something's wrong here. There's too many of us. There's too many." All of a sudden, all these parents with kids with, with autism are popping up all over the place, and we're starting to notice how come no one else is. And you know, wait a minute. There was you're saying there was like an autism boom. Yeah, boom. There was definitely a boom. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
And what what was what was the conclusion that you guys were right? What did you guys come well, up with? For us, was there was a boom in, uh, you know, this is a, a popular theory, but it's never been a hundred percent proven. But it all leads to this: is that that there was an increase in the amount of vaccines in the mid, the early to mid nineties. Uh, it was a uh, mercury, mercury in vaccines. There was a huge increase in it. The more vaccines that were they were being. More vaccines were being made, so they had to mass produce them. Uh, and the only way to preserve uh, vaccines for a longer period of time is to include an ingredient that was called thimerosal, which is a which was very heavy uh, laced with mercury. And the mercury that was injected in babies was not uh, being diluted, and it would just start to cause brain damage. And as the kid would get Older from six months to twelve months, they would regress. Anything they learned, they would regress because the mercury kept building in the body with every injection of a vaccine. And the doctors, the doctors obviously denied. No, this. pediatricians didn't know because they just, you know, they're just following what they're supposed to do. No, but so. today I, I've talked to doctors that deny it no, today. No, they deny, it, but it's like you know, it, it's because now they're trying to say there's less of it in there, but you can't deny that the shots went from you know basically when we grew up. To like, you know, it would be like maybe four to six shots and throughout our whole childhood. Ever, like yeah, that's what you yeah. remember. But by the time you know, once the mid nineties, uh, you they were getting up to thirty shots, and you know that's uh, you know it's a lot more. Fucking so, jacking kids up. Yeah, yeah, jacking kids up with stuff, and uh, you know they didn't really ever test what would happen if they included another fifteen to twenty vaccines in the cycle. They never really said, okay, what would happen to a child or any human being if we increased the amount of vaccines in a short period of time? What would happen to them? Uh, they never really tested that. And that's, that's a huge, you know, mistake. That was, that was the mistake. They really never figured it out. So they're just like, oh, let's just keep adding vaccines. Let's keep adding vaccines. We develop a vaccine for this and a vaccine for this and a vaccine for that. And I'm all for vaccines, but never to actually test the vaccines and to see what kind of effect they would have if they were combined, and that's the biggest. So, this, so, so the the theory is that the combinations of the vaccines together, doing the right. shots together, the mercury levels. Right. Were so, going. if you go to a, if you go to a doctor's appointment and you get seven vaccines in one day, which some sometimes they that's what happens. And now you're in, if I inject you with seven vaccines filled with mer- mercury, you're gonna be sluggish all day. Yeah, of course, definitely. With maybe for a couple days. Some kids are their immune systems are not as strong as others. So what happens is, they it, it starts to damage their bodies, and the damage goes from the brain to the stomach, and gut damage is a big part of it. And a lot of kids with autism they have gut issues, and you'll you'll see that uh, you know just massive diarrhea and you know uh, bleeding in their stools and just all kinds of really bad gut issues. And way to go about it is to cure the gut, and hopefully, you know that child with autism uh, can start to learn better once their gut issues are are taken care of. And now autism, I mean, yeah, they tried to do it with my son. Right. They tried to do it with my son, and I was like, look, man, he's getting one shot. Space like, him out. Just no, I said, listen, you, tell you could, yeah, you could give him one. Okay, I don't think he needs that. The best was that bird flu or whatever. They were yeah. like, I was like, do they need it? And they were like, oh, no. so I'm not. You're not putting a live virus in my fucking kid. Right. How about I stick to. it in your fucking neck? I really, the, reality I is, the reality is this. Your kids don't go to school till about the age of five. So space them out. There's no need to have 20 vaccines in their first year of life. There's just no reason for it. You space it out. 
you know, and by the time they're in, in you know school age, they'll be up to date with all their shots. They just get them in less of, uh, you know, you just get spaced out. Every, every doctor's visit, you'll get one instead of five, you know. And, and you know, maybe you take an extra trip to the doctor's office instead. You know, like the extra money, whatever it's going to cost, it's worth it, you know, just to. Does a human being need shots? Because I know some people that don't give their kids any shots. No, they don't. They, there's we- been studies with the Amish. You know, the Amish don't, the Amish have zero, uh, zero cases of autism. Zero. No. Zero case of autism. As a matter of fact, what? Any of the kids in their in their community that have autism have been adopted into the community. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I I I take a chance a little autism if I could get Xbox and some fucking like some lights. I mean, fuck that. I'd be like, take a take a take a look at a Google a, a article by a friend of mine, Dan Olmsted. He uh, did the whole study on the Amish, and he spent like days, you know, like days, weeks. With the Amish, talking to parents, talking There's to not one fucking case of autism no, with the fucking case. Amish. Nope. Is that... What? No, good. Read the article. Go for there it. There you go, folks. I mean, shit. We're learning stuff here. Oh, you lucky pigs. Look Dan, at you guys. Dan Olmsted, uh, Age of Autism. That's the name of the column that he wrote. And he did the... Uh, he did a book about it, too, so... Um, all right, we're going to finish up with sports. We're going to get an unacceptable and some plugs here. I hope you guys t- uh, took that information. Definitely read that article, man. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad Chris got into comedy, uh, but he fucking, you know, he, he's into, you know, the sports stuff, and, and he wrote some really cool stuff like that. you got to get Daryl Strawberry up in here, man. Daryl Strawberry's got to come to the stand. If Daryl Strawberry comes to the stand, I won't be a dick. I won't be that fan, but I, I'll definitely have to whisper. I just low whisper to him. I'll be like, dude, that home run you hit in 96 was unbelievable. Okay, um, New York Knicks basketball. The New York Knicks won tonight. I think they did. I hope they did. I hope they won tonight because they've been they've been slacking off. It's been really bad. They're they're losing games. The Heat are winning. I don't know if we could even get the second seed or third seed now. I think we could probably still get the third seed. Um, somebody asked me a question. Uh, Nolan actually asked me a question on on um, on Butterfly Radio. And his question was, do I think it works with Stottlemyre, Mello, and Chandler on the court at the same time? I like Stott. Did they win? Yeah, 99-73. The Knicks won 99-73 over the 76ers tonight. Stottlemyre on the court with with Mello, I think, and, and, and Chandler. I like Stottlemyre off the bench because I feel like you he, he's coming on now, and I feel like that makes that second team, that makes that second team better. That, that's just my opinion. Also, I think that... Um, Somebody was saying Raymond Felton, even though he's great passing and shit, and he's doing it. That they were they were talking about how he's not a really breakdown defender. Um, I like I like Felton. I think I like Jason Kidd. Here's the problem with the Knicks. Um, the Knicks tried to turn it on. The Knicks remind me of the Giants, where like Mellow's. Do you hear what Mellow said? He goes, no. "We're fine. We're gonna be fine." He was smiling. He goes, "We're gonna be fine. Trust me." I hope that doesn't mean that they're just trying to get a certain seed. You know what I mean? Mike Woodson, you got to play defense. Got to play defense, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how at some point in the season this team just stopped playing defense. They, yeah, like they were a defensive yeah. juggernaut. Yeah, they, they were great. a defensive juggernaut at the beginning of the fucking year. These guys were locking people down. They were contesting every shot. Now it seems like they just backed off of that. It's that attitude. Uh, you know, Car- Carmelo Anthony was really playing both ways. Um, you know, you had Jason Kidd and and Raymond Felton on the court at the same time a lot. Yeah, and they still do that now. Uh, but Ronnie Brewer was a really good defender. Um, but even then, they weren't getting the rebounds. So I, I don't know. It just feels like they just they just their commitment to defense hasn't been there since 
since that first uh, what is that? The first quarter of the season, and then no, the first quarter of the season they were locking. I think weren't they the best defensive team the first twenty yeah, games of the year? Um, it's, it's driving me nuts. Now here's another problem the New York Knicks have. Now I don't know if this is going to be a problem. This is what I said. Derrick Rose is coming back to the Derrick Rose is coming back to the Bulls. They're not a better team than the Bulls now. They're not a be- no no no. You're right. And Whether they, Derrick Rose on the team is is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. No, but here's the thing. Anything can happen in a seven game series. You never know. Okay. Derrick Rose, though, I don't know if you can come back from that injury without being in a game. This is the thing about Derrick Rose that people don't understand. Derrick Rose puts so much fucking stress on the knees the way he drives to the hole. Watch Derrick Rose highlights. He goes to the rack like no point guard I've ever seen. He contorts his body. He hits the ground real hard. He, did he tear both? Yeah. He tore everything. His knee got tore up, man. How long has this guy been out? This is a big deal Good for them. Season, and I think him coming he back. He went down at the same time Iman Schumper down, went down last year. Yeah, and Ahmad Shumper and, and, and Ahmad Shumper got back last month. But I think that Derrick Rose is going to have to change his style of play. And I don't know, and I'm not saying this to shit on the Chicago fans because Lord knows I hate the Heat more than any other team in the East. Okay, I hate the fucking Heat. Chicago has to understand this kid's not going to come back and be MVP if he keeps going to the if he's doing it to his knee. I don't know if he's ever going to be the same well, that's player. That's the only boy he can play though. So. That's what I mean. So I think you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see a drop in his game, and I hope not, because he seems like a good kid. He seems like he's got his shit together. The way he takes the ball to the hole is the same way Amari Stoudemire used to take it when his and his knees. When you got guys that stop, jump, you know, slam down, contort their body and stuff like that, um, you know, and and I think that the reason why he was MVP, you never saw a guy play like that. I hope he comes back. I never thought Noah was gonna be that good for them. Noah's great for them. Great. Like he's great fucking good, great. great Underrated, 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 doing his job. Um, I predict the Knicks to lose to the Heat in the finals. I don't know now. I don't the even conference know. Conference finals? I think the Knicks They're are going to lose to. Right you don't think so? No. Oh, fuck. All right, last thing on sports, guys. I got into a, um, I got into a big argument with a couple of friends over this. The Washington Redskins are now being forced, and they're saying Who's by 2018... Them? Uh, they're just everybody, like like the Native American community. Yeah, but it's been going on for years. Man. No, but they, they're, they're, this is a big deal now. They're saying that by 2018, the Redskins name has to go because the logo and the name is a very derogatory. Well, what about the Chiefs? And it's a well, that and, 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 and I said, what about the Indians? What about, and what the, about the Seminoles? And what about the Braves? Right. But they're saying that in the 1930s, the word. The word Redskin was meant in a way like you would almost say and relax. Relax, African American community. I'm not comparing it, but the, the N word. No, the, yeah, I guess it would be like the Native American N word. Okay, and so now what they want to do? But what are they going to do? Why doesn't? The, here's my solution. I just think that's ridiculous. Why doesn't the owner of the fucking Redskins go like this? Look, now we do it as an honoring them. Okay, come with you. You know, people wear the feathers in their hair. They do the chop. You can look at it like that. Like, why does it have to be? This is 70, 80 years well, later. How many and Indians are there? There's like ten Indians left. Who cares? <laughs> Jesus, Chris. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Chris, like, fuck the Indians. How fuck many, their feelings. How many American Indians are there left? So Think about I, it. I had a, I had a, I had a, I gotta, I gotta read this to you. I had a thing with, I had a thing with Bill Burr, I, you know, because we always go back and forth with sports, and I want to share this with you guys because I think that you guys will get a kick out of this. But here's Bill Burr is a punk. Here, here's, here's. <laughs> he is a punk, and I, and if he's listening to this. You are a punk. <laughs> All right. Here, here's what I wrote to, to uh, Bill about this. All right. The Redskins are being forced to change their name because it's offensive to Native Americans. America is over, dude. Here's Bill's response. 
America is over because of bankers and sellout politicians. Redskin is a straight-up racial slur. So much worse than Redmond. It's a football name in, uh, from the 1930s. Here's my response. You're a pussy. LOL. His, his response. You're a boar's head-eating moron. I, <laughs> I hope they take the tomahawk chop. I hope the tomahawk chop goes next. Uh, and then I just wrote, it could be honoring them now. Like, I think it could be honoring them now. You know, like, you don't have to I don't know about honoring them. No, they not, probably don't want to be honored by that. But the, the, no, but like as an Indian head on the side of it, like with the feathers and the thing, like you could also change it to something like you could try to reverse it. Like it doesn't have to be the Redskin name. The Washington Redskin name is like what we like. How many fucking generations grew up with yeah, it? Now, they, now they're, now they're going to change it to either. They're going to try to change it to like skins or something and make it not mean that. What the fuck, man? Like, listen, I don't think anybody in the Redskin organization... And listen, I get it. Listen, I get it. I'm not Native American. If you're Native American listening to this, I mean no disrespect. If you're Native All American right? and you listen to this, come on. If you're Native American and let you listen keep, to this, them, I need the downloads and I like them, it. Let them keep their names. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. Nobody the, in the Redskin organization... What's the big deal? Nobody in the Redskin organization is, 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 is racist towards you. The well, Sh- Schneider... speak for them. Well, I can't speak for them. No, but you think Maybe they are racist. Okay, so you think all Daniel Snyder sitting there is like, you think F those Redskins. No, no. That, that's what I'm saying. I really don't think that you're such a dick. Those Native Americans. I don't think that. I think the Redskin name was just something. I'm being selfish. I grew up with it. What are you going to change it to? What are you going to change the Washington the Redskins? Native Americans. The Washington Native Americans. But- <laughs> there you go. Are you going to change it to the 10 left? <laughs> For you three. I don't know. I just But then couldn't but then Chris, couldn't couldn't that mean everybody's gonna get sensitive? You know? Well yeah, we're already what at a that big point. Pe- what are big people gonna get upset with the Giants? We're already at that point. <laughs> Everybody over six five or uh, six <laughs> Anyone flying a jet is gonna get pissed off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you bastards. The, the <laughs> fucking Marlin in Florida swims bullshit. You're not, you're not representing us properly with all your losing. And shitty football play. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. Listen, and I really don't mean any disrespect. I don't know what it's like to be Native American. You know? I don't know. And I don't know what it's like. But how do you think a, how do you think a, a lion feels? You know? He doesn't want his face on the side of a f- helmet. <laughs> yeah. He just wants to run the wild. He doesn't want to be part of a football Yeah, because when one of the Detroit Lions shoots somebody or robs right. a bank. <laughs> it I like bad. I was a lion. You know? No, he wasn't. <laughs> He played for a football team, but he wasn't one of us, you know? <laughs> you know something? I, I don't know. Like, we, we were trying to come up with other names for sports names. Like, what would be, what would be, what's a new good sports name? Because they got all the birds, dude. This, you know what the worst is? Uh, it was the Hornets. Not, the Hornets, right? What did they change their names to? No, the, the Pelicans. They changed it to Pelicans. They're, they're going to next year. Right. Think about how horrible that is. Who wants they're to gonna be, be a the, Pelican? They're going to be the New Orleans Pelicans. I heard they were thinking about seagulls, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, like seriously? That's why like there's teams like Orlando Magic, you know? Because it's magic. Who the fuck's gonna say anything about magic? How no, but you know what's a who's gonna say anything about heat? Yeah, no, what is hot in Miami? What no, are you gonna do? No, no, no. How bad is a Washington Wizards, dude? Oh, no the one's fucking bright. wizards? What's gonna happen if a wizardry interest a special interest group comes out and says, Yeah, there's hey, some fucking people are the doing United, witchcraft. We are the United Association of Wizardry. And we take offense 
until Washington <laughs> sports franchises name that. You rest. can't do anything right now. I'm not kidding, America. You can't do anything anymore. I'm not trying to be like that. This is not a political thing. You can't do. Wizards, anything. stand up! <laughs> Don't allow to be objectified by a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, like a lot you of hear wi- that, wizards. <laughs> a lot of wizards in real life. Wizards. What the fuck hate is Gilbert, a knickerbocker? <laughs> they, help, they hate Gilbert Arenas for that shooting thing. That's a bad name for wizards. What's a knickerbocker? Um, I know Knickerbocker Avenue is where I grew up. I take offense that there's a basketball team. Well, that's a good I, question. I consider myself a Knickerbocker because I grew up on Knickerbocker Avenue. Did you? Yes, I did. What is in Bushwick, New York? Well, the Mets are the Metropolitans. Ever. The Metropolitans. Yeah. You're a Brooklyn guy. I am a Brooklyn guy. You're a Brooklyn guy. All right, all right. Well, um, I think here's the animals that they never touch. Okay, they never touch this. Possums. They never touch possums. They never do. You're right. They, they never touch possums. Raccoons. You know because it, no, because then they would be short coons, Rabbits. and then they would be short for coons, and then people would be upset. <laughs> and the coons win again. <laughs> and the coons. Look at the run by that. That's the coons, everyone. <laughs> no, but how about this? Oh my God, that coon is fast. You'd be like, holy shit, man, that's fucking. It's over. Look at those coons run. <laughs> holy shit. That coon broke away from that, like, and you would just be like, holy shit. All right, so coons wouldn't work. No rabbits. There's no... Is there rabbits? No. Maybe in college there's rabbits. There's n- yeah, but what about... There's no snakes. Rats. Oh, no, there's a Diamondbacks. You know, there was a... There was a uh, how come... How, what about... Minor league hockey team named the Albany River Rats at one point. Tell me how, how fucking... That's pretty cool. How dope would this be? The Arizona Cobras. Just cobra snakes out there. Yeah. Right? There's well, no Diamondbacks. Snakes. Diamondbacks, as I said, Diamondbacks right. is it. Uh, there's no fry. Oh, no, there is. The, the Cobras t- don't live in Arizona, though. Cobras don't live in Arizona? No, they're like an African snake. You know right? fucking everything. That's what, is this guy's a fucking, what does it call you, a renaissance man? No, not a renaissance man. What are you? It's a man with useless information at his fingertips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on. We got to keep doing this. This is, see, the, see, the, the, the Verzi effectors love the end of the show where, it, like, you just go off on funny shit. What about um, mice? What? <laughs> the New York, the New York street rats. <laughs> it's a big fucking rat. You, the New York. Holy shit! What is that? <laughs> is that a cat? Yeah, if you did real New York names, it'd be like the New York urine stink. <laughs> York. No, what's it? What's another? What's it, what would be the fucking great name for a for an animal, man? What animals are in New York? What's New York's animal? Pigeons. Got pigeons everywhere. That's funny. The New York Pigeons? Yeah. That'd be fucking hilarious. That's our animal. I mean, really, what are we Give have? it up for your New York Pigeons! pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Give it up for your New York Sparrows. He said, but God... <laughs> You know when the lights go down? No, hold up. You know when the lights go down? And yeah. When the home team comes out? Just let the sparrows out. <laughs> you just, you just, sparrows <laughs> and pigeons let them shit all over the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ, he shit my beer. Um, oh, my God, that's funny. I like that one. You came up with a good one, man. Possum. Uh, cobra. Cobra's a, you would think? No, you don't like cobra? It's not cool. Cobra's not cool. Cobra's fucking has a hood and sits up and mm-hmm. shit spits at you? No? All right. Cobras were cool like in the 80s. If you guys have any good ones, man. You know, like Cobra Kai, you know, remember? Yeah. The, the, but Cobra's the, a badass snake, the Karate man. Kid, Cobra Kai. How about this? Oh, I got one. I got one. You ready? The Vipers. 
Oh, wait, is that a, There's a, is a, a hockey a, team named the Vipers? There is a hockey team named the Vipers. See, like that hockey, minor league hockey teams got have cool, they figured it out, you know? They market the shit out of the logo and the, and the mascot and all that stuff. They know what they're doing. What about the sea turtle? What, no, no, what about the, uh, what, what's the, what's the thing? The, the it, you know, it's Bridgeport Sound Tigers, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? I would just love to fucking, like, look at a jersey of, like, a sea lion. Or like a what's the thing with the hoofs? The 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 the, the, the bobcat. The walrus. The walrus. The walrus. Yeah, my yeah. wife always makes fun of me because I can't pronounce it. the walruses. Walruses. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, guys. I want you to get a pen out. I want you to get a pen out. What's okay. This, what this is now. Chris doesn't know about this. Oh, fuck. Okay. No. 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 Because <laughs> oh fuck. Here's what we're gonna do. No. 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 This is this is great. Okay. Chris is gonna give you guys information right now. The one thing that Chris knows more than probably I would say 90% of, Amer- of, of, of people in America or especially in New York is he has dedicated, okay, there are some people that are nerds with movies. He knows movies, but I'm talking like there are people that like, like dig into this and like live by it. There are some people that are like that with sports. There are some people that are like that with, you know, certain things. I've never seen a man who will tell you where the burger is, will tell you where the steak is. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick example. This is how fucking disgustingly into food Chris Italia you is. You didn't make me come prepared. I have everything written down. No, no, no. I, I, no, no. We, we, you know, I don't, he goes, I have, is it, exactly. He's got a notebook of this shit, okay? Um, we're, I'm going to do a gig with Joe Matarese in North Carolina, in Wilmington, North Carolina, I think. And, and Chris wants to take the eight-hour drive with us. Tell us why, Chris. Why would you want to come down that place, na- man, and fucking in Raleigh? That's not too far. That that has the best chicken and biscuit and cheddar. <laughs> how do you know? But listen, how the fuck do you know it's you the best talk. chicken and biscuit? In, in how do you know that? You hear talk, man. You hear talk. Michael Jordan goes there, so you heard it from that. <laughs> All right, best burger in New York City, in your opinion? The Stand Comedy Club. I'm not going to lie, guys. They told me about it. They yelled at me for not having it. I talked about it on here. One of the best steak sandwiches and one of the best burgers I've ever had. I'm not kidding. Are here at the stand. Other than the stand, before the stand open, if people are going and they're not, you know, coming to the stand, where, you know, where, where, what burger? Give the top three burgers in New York. Top three. I mean, you know, um, write this down, people. I'm telling you, you're going to come to New York and be like, holy shit, I'm glad I listened to Verzi's podcast because I just fucking ate a burger that was insane. You can't get a bad burger at, you know, that place. Like, I fucking... If you come here, go to that burger joint. What the fuck's the... The Steak Shake? The Steak... Uh, shake Shack. Uh, shake Shack, yeah. That's a given. You go to Shake Shack, you get a good burger. I mean, it's it's really good. It's it's as good as In-N-Out and better. I'm probably, it's probably better than In-N-Out. In-N-Out's got a great fucking burger, but this is a really good burger. Um, other than that, uh, let's think... Uh, Burger Barrel on uh, on Houston, it's fucking amazing. Um, what did your brother Paul say? Your brother Paul said, well, "Which one is? Oh no, he's talking about steaks." Yeah, no, he's, he's talking, talking about steaks. About... Oh, what did you say? The best macaroni and cheese in in New York City? Here, the stand. <laughs> you guys do? Oh, you guys do that shit too? Yeah, we have truffle mac and cheese. Uh, no, but you go to the Waverly Inn, uh, in um, in the in the West Village, and it cost about. I would say about seventy dollars, but it's probably the 
the best mac and cheese. Wait a minute, the bowl of macaroni and cheese. So you got to be a real fucking fat, fucking geeky food, fat piece of shit. The mac and cheese is phenomenal. Yeah, but if you're gonna spend, like, if you if someone said to you, you're gonna do this probably once in your life, and someone said to you, hey, for the best mac and cheese you'll ever have in your life, would you pay seventy dollars for it? And you and you like, you know what? Why not? You know, like I'm not gonna do it ever again. I mean, if if, if it's gonna be the best, at, I'm like if I can just say, all right, have the best at something you're ever gonna have, and then then just put it away. It's like you know, I did that. I did that. I had the best mac and cheese I'm ever gonna have. You do it. You pay the seventy bucks. You buy this fucking mac and cheese, and you say, you know what? <laughs> this really was the best mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. Is it, is, it, is it really unbelievable? Yeah, absolutely, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you can't even. It doesn't come close. Okay, uh, you told me about the, the rib place. We talked about the rib place in Cincinnati is Montgomery Inn. Montgomery Inn is uh, amazing. You said that uh, you got to tell everybody about the sushi place. I hope you guys are writing this I shit. I can't tell you that, man. That's oh, a secret. Oh, the secret. The, oh, the Vegas I'll tell one? you this. The, no, the Vegas no, one. No, not the Vegas one. Oh, we're talking about the California one. Well, forget about the Vegas one. The Vegas one doesn't hold a candle to this place. There is a place. He can't give you the he can't give you the actual location, but he'll give you as much information of the best sushi he's I ever had. I can't give you the name. If you see me personally, I will give you the name, but I can't. In such a mass audience, I won't reveal it. <laughs> Out of respect to the chef, because the chef that is a true says, foodie, folks. I, the chef actually says, when you leave there, he says, please don't tell anyone about this Get place. Get the fuck out of here. Please don't tell your friends. Oh, That's wait a minute, wait a minute. Says. That is. Hold on a second. I mean to interrupt you because we're gonna get to this. That is gangster. When your shit is so good, okay. When you, that, could you imagine a comedian? Just murdering everyone going, listen, I don't want anybody to fucking know. Like, that doesn't happen. Now, this place that came about because all my chef friends in L.A., they they go to this place. This is where they go for sushi. And I'll, I'll give you this. I'm going to give you this. <laughs> this is right? big from Chris. It is in Canoga Park, California. And you're going to say, Canoga Park, California? Really? Like, that's like the middle of nowhere. Yes, it's the middle of nowhere. As a matter of fact, when I was first being taken to this place, when I was in L.A. Uh, a few years back, I was told, this is by far the best sushi you'll ever have. And I'm like, come on, man. You really have to drive 45 minutes out of L.A. out of LA to find the best sushi? There's so many great sushi places in Los Angeles. And I was told, I'm telling you, you're not going to regret it. And I said, well, this sushi better have gold on it for me to fucking drive 45 minutes out of L.A. And guess what? The sushi had gold on it, folks. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's right. You t- it says real shavings of gold? Yeah, real shavings of gold. It's amazing. It's like, I can't explain it. It's just... And you don't... There's no menu. You walk in How there. How the fuck? I would, say, I would say the best time to go is right around 1.30, 2 o'clock. I don't even know if he's open for dinner. You know, the guy next door is like, dude, I got platinum. I got platinum shavings on the I'll phone. be honest with you. I don't even know if he's open for dinner. I think he's just open for lunch. Wait, didn't you say you saw the fish swimming? Yeah, he killed fish right in front of me, man. He killed them right in front of me. I'm like, man, that's going to be in my mouth in a matter of minutes. Uh, was it the most delicious fish you've ever eaten in your life? Oh, it's just ridiculous. Um, so you walk into this place, and it has the ambiance of a 1985 video movie store, rental store, where you, where you go to rent tapes. What? That's what It still has tapes in the wall. It's an old rundown. Wait, but then where the fuck do you sit? There are tables, but there's no waiters, because you don't, you don't, he doesn't want to serve you at the tables. You go up to that bar like a man, 
That sushi bar. You go up and sit down. Yeah, but can you get like rolls and shit? Like, can you get you anything? You don't fucking tell him anything. You don't tell him anything. You don't say. Yeah, but this sounds like some backdoor fucking let me weird tell you shit. Something. Let me dude. tell you something. You don't say, hey, can I have this, this, or that? There's not even a menu. You can't even do that. But you can't. Don't go in there and go, hey, can so, I? So can how I do get? Can I get? About it? Can I get a? Can I get a rainbow roll? You can't do that. If you do that, he'll kick you out. He really will. He'll like, you don't belong here. Go. Wait a minute. So wait. So it's just that, him. That sounds weird to me. It's just him and his little assistant Paco, and they're just going at it. You know what I mean? They yell at each other, all kinds of stuff. But you sit at the bar, and he asks, "Hey, you want anything? Do yourself a favor. Do not say you want something specific, because he will look at you weird and tell you to leave. But you, can, what you really should say is just like, "Hey man, Jesus hey man, whatever you feel like doing," and that's his key to happiness. And you want to. Happy chef. And right in front of you, he'll make the most amazing sushi you've ever f- fucking tasted in your life. I'm telling you, man. It's amazing. And uh, and he'll just plan out a whole course for you. So, like, you know, he'll do several different like dishes. Chris is sweating right now. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I'll tell you guys. It's amazing. I, I do, what I do is, you know, I go to L.A. a couple, you know, two, three times a year. What I do, just for myself, I put away 20 bucks here and there. Just because I know I'm going to be going to that sushi. It's, it's, it's a little bit expensive. It's a little oh, bit expensive. Uh, what's expensive? How much are we talking here? I mean... You're going to spend $100 in there? You're going to spend $100. Yeah, you're going to spend at least 150 on yourself. But Jesus I, Christ. I'm, t- I'm telling you... like That's I Because that, that gold went up. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you guys, I, don't, I, I am not this type of person. I don't, I don't just go to expensive restaurants all the time. I don't do that. But this place... I don't eat sushi anymore. I, I go all year without eating sushi anywhere else. The only place I eat sushi is at this place. I go back to L.A., I go visit this guy, and he spoils me rotten. And oh, I wait, can, you know this guy, so I got to go with you. You can go. I'll give you the location. But yeah, I'm not going to get fucking yelled at in, in a video store. He's not going to yell at you. You just got to go in and do the right things. You got to <laughs> say, hey, man. I'm make, so, I feel so bad. Make whatever you want. That's it. Just do whatever you want, dude. And he gets a big smile on his face. He starts cracking jokes with you, and you have a great fucking time. But if he, if will he make you a roll on his own? He'll listen to me. Whatever he feels like making, he'll make you. Is there enough? Can you get full? Yeah, of course. You, he won't stop until you're full. If you say I want more, he'll give you more. But he'll plan out a whole course for you. And if you say, Hey, man, I'm good. I had enough. That's it. Then he's done. But. Otherwise, it just keeps making sushi for you. Gold, real gold. Was it was on. gold on his on his sushi. Yeah. Oh my God! Listen, folks. I mean, he can't give the location, which I think is hilarious. And you should have saw how fucking into it he got. I'm actually starving right now. I'm hoping to God the chef is downstairs can make me something. I don't know. You better hurry up. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we got the burgers in New York. We got the sushi in California. Listen, Canoga Park, California. Just whisper to somebody, where's a video store? And then wink at him and go, I it's need in a salmon. Stri- it's in a strip mall. <laughs> in Canoga. And there's plenty of strip malls. I get it. Uh, You're going to want to find this place. Just go, you know where I could get a VHS? Huh? Huh? And then wink at him. All right. <laughs> Versi Effect Podcast, everybody. Episode 100. We're almost at two hours. Chris Italia. Having a good time here. I just um, want to plug this event. Oh, no, no, we're not done yet. We're go gonna... see go okay. see Paul Verzi, May 4th, at the Tribeca Performing Arts Center with his buddy, Joe Matarese and Adrian Appalucci. Oh, man, my friends. Those are my friends. And this is for what? This is a theater show, and I think Joe's going to try and uh, film a special there. Oh, okay. 
So go to Tribeca Pack P A C Tribeca P A C dot org and get your tickets today, 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 today. <laughs> yes. All right. We're gonna do the plugs too. Do you have an unacceptable? Did you get? Did what you does think? That mean? What does that mean? Once a once a once a week, the Verzi effect, and I've skipped some, but my put leave it up to my guests. Just come up with something that just really fucking burns you. Like it can be people waiting on, you know, people waiting online, people in traffic, people who interrupt you, people at comedy clubs who do certain things. But what's something that in your mind is just always unacceptable? It never ever is okay. It 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 chaps your ass there, Chris. You know the way they say chaps your ass, which I think is the dumbest thing. I don't even. You have give to- yours first. Huh? My unacceptable for the week? Um, well, my unacceptable for the week is... Um, it's, it's a, Jesus Christ, some, is that Paul? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We got somebody coming in here. We got to wrap this shit up soon. Uh, you know, my unacceptable for the week is... Um, I got my seat kicked twice during a movie. And the theater was kind of empty. And the person, during their laughter... And during them being into the movie, they were leaning over and they kicked my seat. Now, you know, Chris, you know me. And people who know me know that when I laugh, I am as close to an African-American male as I run, I kick, I punch, I can't handle it. I lose control of myself. Okay, that's what I do. I push, I go nuts. Okay, but when I'm in a movie, I go left to right. Okay, I go left to right. So if you're here, I go left to right with my going nuts. I never, ever, I'm always, listen, if you're in a movie theater, you got to know someone's sitting there. He did it fucking twice to the point where I was enjoying the movie. I had to get up and I had to move my seat. Otherwise, I was going to turn around and say something. Unacceptable is putting your feet on the fucking chair in front of you. Now, I had an unacceptable in a the movie theater before, but it was just people talking and it was more of that. Kicking somebody's chair in the movie theater, that shit is fucking unacceptable. Okay, that's my unacceptable for the week. Okay, especially if you know you're a laugher and a kicker, move, move your seat. You don't need to be there, okay? And he's like, look, and I looked at him, and he looked at me like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing. And it's like, yeah, you don't have to kick the seat in front of you, you dick. You know, that, that would, like, it, it's almost like, what if I just turned around and spit at you or punched you every time I laugh? It doesn't make sense. You know somebody's there. So it's unacceptable for the week. Don't kick my fucking seat in the movie theater. And doesn't it always feel like every time you go to the movies and it's empty and you, you think you're out of the woods. You're like, oh, it's empty. It's great. And somebody, two people have to go and shove popcorn in their fat faces behind you. It's annoying. It's fucking annoying. I, turn around at the person and go, fucking move. But don't kick my seat. It's the kicking of the seat that's unacceptable for this week. I'm not doing it. From now on, I'm just going to be away from everybody. That's unacceptable for the week for me. And and here's one other one. If you had a party today and you cooked really like a lot of food for the Oscars, it's kind of unacceptable. Like a party with food is cool, but like people who like had to see, you know, what Shirley's... Just come to the stand next time. Yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your unacceptable? My unacceptable. It's a couple things. One... That really this, bothers you. This, this didn't happen recently, but it happened within the last couple months. Someone spray-painted my girlfriend's car. They spray-painted it. Like, who spray-paints cars? <laughs> who puts their name on a car? I mean, no, I they like, didn't. Yeah, they did. They spray-painted her car. They, no, with their name? Whatever the tag name, whatever the hell it is. Like, you know, that's taking it too far. You want to spray-paint the bridge. You want to spray-paint public oh, That's unacceptable. Go do it, but it's unacceptable to spray-paint someone's car that hasn't even been finished been paying off yet. <laughs> you understand what that means? Oh, gee, but it's so, insured, right? It doesn't matter, but like, who goes around spray painting cars? 
Jesus. It doesn't make any sense to me. That is really unacceptable. Do not spray paint cars. You, the guys that go out there and tag up or whatever the hell you call it, don't spray paint cars. I'm, all, I'm asking you not to spray. It's unacceptable to spray paint cars. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, that is bad. That is definitely that is definitely bad. Uh, all right. Well, as far as plugs, guys, if you want to come out and see me, um, I am going to be. I'll be at the stand on February twenty eighth. Uh, also, yeah, come to that. And uh, if here's, you- a, here's a, what I'll say: anybody who wants to come to it's a it's a Montreal Just for Laughs showcase. Paul's auditioning for the Montreal Comedy Festival. Uh, if anybody wants tickets to that through this podcast, I will give you free tickets. Oh, email me. At standnyc at gmail.com. Oh. And I will give you free tickets to that show. All right. There you go, guys. And it's a great club. So that is on, um, that's going to be on the 28th. Thursday. That's going to be this Thursday, the 28th. Also, if you guys are in Westchester, a lot of people ask me when they could see me in Westchester. I will be at Empire City Casino uh, at uh, Yonkers, R- Yonkers Raceway, March 6th, uh, which is uh, Wednesday, was it? It's a Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, uh, March 6th, I will be at Empire City Casino in Yonkers, New York. It's a great room. It fits about it was about 300-plus people. I did it last year. I had an absolute blast. Come out to that. And um, you guys know I'll be opening for Bill Burr on, um, well, let me see if I have anything before that. Yes, I'll be at Levity Live on the 20th, and I'll be opening for Bill Burr on the 22nd in the uh, Egyptian Room in Indianapolis, Indiana. And on the 23rd, I will be at the State Theater with Bill Burr in Minnesota. Please come out to those shows. Um, I think I think if the shows get sold out, I don't know if they're adding another one, but come out. Me and Burr always have a great time. Bill is truly one of the best, and uh, you know, so are you guys. I, I really hope that you guys enjoyed uh, episode 100. Thank you so much to my guest, um, Chris Italia, who is, is not only my manager, but he, he was my friend first, and that's why I'm with them. But he does a great job with comedians. Long live the Verzi effect. Long live the Verzi effect is right. We're going to get another 100 under our belt. I hope you enjoyed everything about what Chris said. Also, please, um, what's the article about autism again? Oh, Age of Autism, uh, Dan Olmstead is the author. If you know anybody or, you know, if you're concerned with that, if you're having children, please read that. Uh, you know, Chris really did a lot of work when he was doing that stuff. Um, and, and that's it. Please, Butterfly Radio, download the free app, send me another audio, and I'll send it back. Uh, like Matt Arise, like I said, is on there, Florentine. Um, it's a great app. Or register on ButterflyRadio.com to start your own podcast. I want to thank the sponsor for being with me through my last couple of months to get to 100. Uh, all you guys, please keep the downloads coming on iTunes. I really appreciate it. The numbers of the show are really, really uh, been incredible the past year. We're going to keep doing it. So thank you again. Download it. I will talk to you guys. Episode 101, which will be next week. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will talk to you soon.